0: The OCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly.
1: Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Tuesday, September the 19th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Paddy Daly, and David Williams. He's produced the program, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air, 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So, I don't know if you realize, but volleyball is actually huge here in this province. The numbers of uh, competing in the minor ranks is absolutely off the charts. So, I've been keeping an eye on Canada's women's volleyball team and their quest to qualify for the Paris Olympics. Dropped a three-setter against world number three Serbia this morning. That's a big knock to their quest to be part of the Paris games. But anyway, we'll keep an eye on it. And yesterday, big occasion for a pro women's hockey league. They had their first annual draft. Taylor Heist. she played for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. She was drafted by Minnesota. She grew up 75 miles away from Minneapolis. So she was the 2022 Women's College Hockey Player of the Year. And off they go. Speaking of hockey, Zach Teen has been invited to the St. Louis Blues training camp. A former number one, of course, by the Las Vegas Golden Knights, traded to the Blues, trying to become the third NHLer to skate in the NHL this upcoming season. Of course, Joni Dawson Mercer, what a big year last year. His brother Riley actually played in the prospects game for the Devils the other day, and of course, Hook with a new lease on life, traded to the Montreal Canadiens from the Colorado Avalanche. Okay. So, there's a, a hearing has begun for an RNC officer accused of unnecessary force and being discourteous in arrest that saw someone pepper sprayed, a smashed patio door, and two men in handcuffs. But this was six years ago. Long time to get to this stage, so we'll see how that unfolds, but I continue to get tons of emails about law enforcement. Questions regarding, say, for instance, the presence of the RCMP here, and then the concerns that people have in certain parts of the province with the expanded geographical footprint for the RNC. Yes, some additional money in the most recent budget to hire 10 additional officers, but when we hear prior to this expansion that RNC officers already felt like they were spread thin. People refer to the same things all the time. You call the police, whether it be a so-called called petty crime or a property crime or a, uh, a drunk driving or something of the sort. You know, someone robbed something from from my vehicle, don't see him on the highway when I'm traveling. And of course, the aggressive, reckless driving is rampant in the province. So this expansion obviously will cause some concern in different parts of the province. In addition to that, there's continued requests and in some corners demands for the creation of a civilian oversight body to of course monitor and adjudicate the behavior and the training and the discipline of RNC and RCMP officers here in the province you know i assume that many officers are loath to see this additional layer of monitoring in place but when we talk about the support of the rnc and the rcmp and the trust in the relationship between both and the general public this type of thing seems to make all the sense in the world to me the vast majority of officers are professional and dedicated when of course you don't have that throughout the entirety of 100% of the ranks this type of a civilian oversight could and should be important what do you think and then a scary story on the grounds of Holy Heart of Mary yesterday. So the police were in the building looking for a student that apparently had not returned uh, after lunch. Eventually, he was seen on the uh, school grounds, charged with a variety of weapons offenses. School went into the lockdown protocol. Families were sent a note about what was going on. I guess that just furthers the conversation we've been having about, and it's not just because of the incident at PwC last year, but inside the school, the protocols are clear. On the school grounds and in the playground, of course, no real monitoring, and you can't necessarily think that one teacher out on duty at lunchtime or what have you or out upon dismissal is going to be able to adequately monitor the entirety of the property but scary for the folks and the parents uh, and students and I would imagine uh, teachers and administrators That's Holy heard of Mary yesterday and that's not the only time we've seen it but you want to take it on let's go also when the government yesterday announced that come next Wednesday the 27th of September you'll no longer be able to smoke or vape on government property It really just felt like and sounded like it was references to the Confederation building. But all government property, I assume, has got to include uh, the health sciences because that's been notorious. A place for visitors and people who are ill to have to walk through clouds of smoke outside of that particular healthcare facility. So I guess it's all the hospitals. I guess it's every government property. And I assume that means the school grounds. Because if you drive by a junior high or a high school at lunchtime or upon dismissal, the clouds of vape and cigarette is really quite clear. So we'll see how carefully that's monitored, how it's going to be enforced, because not everybody has enforcement and or security, like you would see at the Health Sciences or at Confederation Building and over other government buildings, because at school, not really in place. So how's that going to work? How's it going to be enforced? Fair question. Let's take it on. Okay. This was always quite a weird story. And what possesses a correctional officer and an oral surgeon or a dentist to allow a CO, untrained, to remove a a tooth, extract a tooth from a sedated inmate, so the dentist has pled guilty he was suspended and those suspensions have now expired he's back in practice in gander the correctional officer has pled guilty the one who for some reason videotaped the ridiculousness and then posted it on social media he's been cleared of the charges but that is just one of the most bizarre stories that's come out of the province but guilty pleas have been entered in gander supreme court possesses people. Anyway, still getting questions on the universal Canada dental plan. The worry for many is if you qualify, you know, net family income of $90,000 or less. Yes, the rolled out for children under 12, expanded to 18 and people with disabilities. And then here comes the rest of us, seniors and all families that qualify by 2025 never had a firm understanding as to why there wasn't more of a roll-up, more people included, because it has been important. Then you can look at the confusion between some of the provincial offerings, and they're different all across the country, different coverages for different ages, people on income support and otherwise. But what has not maybe been carefully examined here is how do you ensure that people who may indeed qualify with net family income, $90,000 or less, but had some coverage with their private sector employer. You know, it's one thing for the government to pick up the dental bills, but it's quite another to allow the private sector off the hook with any of their offerings, insurance, mo- insurance coverage for their employees. So people ask me all the time about, when am I going to get covered? We can talk about the rollout plans, but it's by 2025 where all hands who are eligible will be covered. Okay. So, yesterday there was a meeting uh, between the CEOs of the biggest three. I don't think Walmart and Costco sent their CEO to the invite or the summons to meet with the Federal Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry. That's Francois Philippe Champagne. Okay. So, the minister said that it was a difficult conversation and the grocery giants, uh, amongst the five, that's 80% of the offerings in the entire country, they said they're going to work with government to stabilize food prices. A couple of interesting comments that I've received on it is, you know, people say, well, the flyers show up in your mailbox, there's the opportunity to shop around. You know, you see something on sale like some peanut butter or a butter at uh, Dollarama or Piper's, why not go there and then pick up the rest of your shopping at the big grocery store? Well, that's okay if you live in a centralized urban setting where it's not too far from Dollarama to Sobeys, it's not that far from Costco to Dominion. But for the most people, for several and many people in the province, that's not simply the reality. So that's the shop around bit. And it's easy enough for Dollarama to put something on sale because in the big grocery store, they offer everything from tiki masala to the peanut butter. So it's not quite the same in the pricing. In addition to that, we're not entirely sure what stabilizing the pricing actually means. And remember, yes, the profits and revenue is enormous. The margins haven't really changed for the grocery stores. But what happens when? They stabilize. Input costs continue to rise for all the manufacturers of the different products on the shelves. In addition to that, we've seen the grocery stores diversify their offerings. You know, so whether it be cleaning supplies and or clothes or wrapping paper and stationery and medicine and vitamins and all the rest. So at some point, we're really going to have to see how that unfolds. If there's a stabilization of prices, does that mean that they'll pick up some potential loss revenue and profit with other things in the store that are not food items? Because you go to the grocery store like I do, and you see, especially in the big five, they sell everything under the sun so it's one thing to stabilize food prices doesn't necessarily mean your trip and the cartful when you bring it to the till is going to cost any less because what happens when and if they make up the lost revenue on the other items which stands to reason that's what's going to happen but you want to take it on we can do it and in the world of the nutritious food basket cost we've had the breakdown here with josh Smith from food first and l on the program The increases, even in the most expensive parts of the province, somewhere around 18 to 21 percent more expensive this year than last. Even in the so-called most affordable part of the province, here in eastern Newfoundland, still up around 13 percent. So obviously this is a massive deal. The election may indeed be determined on cost of living issues alone, and that will include housing. Thankfully now we have a breakdown for Newfoundland and Labrador uh, from the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. They say to keep up with the forecasted increase in population and urbanization, whatever the case may be, is the province gonna have to build 10,000 more homes a year than it does already for the next six years to meet anticipated demand. Unbelievable. In the very best years for housing starts, it's around 2,500, and that's not coming from me, that's coming from the residential construction outfit, uh, the Canadian Home Builders Association of the province, pardon me. So the question becomes, is it even feasible? Yes, maybe there's going to be more developers incentivized to build affordable units with the 5% reduction in GST. It remains to be seen whether or not the provincial government is going to drop the other 10% because, of course, we pay 15% uh, sales tax here in the province. So when, you know, what does that mean for revenue shortfall from the government? And can we actually hit these forecasted targets? whether it be with a heightened focus on immigration to include skilled trades, those with experience in residential construction. But I can't for the life of me understand how this is really going to hit the forecasted targets, the demand across the country to build almost six million uh, units in the next 10 years. And then of course comes the affordability question. You know, the GST removal only qualifies for apartment buildings with four units or more. My understanding is it does not uh, include two apartment homes and or basement apartments, of which they have some of the most popular rental options in the entire country. You know, building four unit apartments has been less than attractive for developers. Their profitability comes much more with uh, the creation of condos. So does this even jibe with the actual need on the ground? So whether it be, you know, kind of change our tune from traditional housing to more and more modular units or tiny homes, or to repurpose all the empty government buildings that are out there. Now some may not be habitable without extraordinary expense to renovate and to refurbish. But we've got to do examine every single option for people to have a roof over their head here because simply relying on the private sector to build, and they're probably gonna do everything they can because there's profit there for them. That's what they're in business for. And of course, housing has gone from housing to big part of GDP. You know, it's an equity investment. It's an investment property. So I don't know how those targets get hit, but that's a pretty big number. 10,000 a year in addition to what we're already building over the next six years to hit the demand. And a big year, it was 2500 I don't know, you tell me. Okay. And we spoke to groceries and housing and the rest. And I've read a story yesterday, it came from the United States, but I've also recently read a story from the Retail Council of Canada, uh, about how just how extraordinary the turnover is and the quit rate for retail employees. Working with the public is not easy. You know, and I think that's been really exacerbated in the last few years. People's emotions and frustration have bubbled over more than I've seen in my adult life. But, you know, they're contributors to the economy, and once again, while we applauded healthcare workers and essential workers at grocery stores and retail outlets that remained open to service the needs of the buying public, the numbers of people in retail, They're worn out and fed up. And apparently the turnover numbers are unbelievable, whether that goes from uh, working at a jean shop or a top shop to working in the hospitality sector, because the general public, not everybody, but a significant portion are proving to be pretty difficult to deal with. So anyway, that's something if you're interested in that, let's take it on. And then... A conversation that's getting some traction, for instance from the FFAW president Greg Pretty and others, talking about the changes to employment insurance. This if unless there's changes made, this is going to be a massive big deal come next February. So when we see the unemployment numbers, and they sound good and feel good when the numbers decrease. And so when we saw it go from 14% to 12%, it changed all the rules for employment insurance. And here's what it means. The number of weeks uh, payable for regular benefits, workers now have to reach a minimum of 490 hours work to qualify instead of the previous 420. Even further complicated with how much is going to be on your check. The drop to 12% also means that the Feds have raised the number of best weeks of a worker's income used to calculate EI from 14 to 16. So now a worker's benefits will now be calculated by totaling the amount earned over the 16 weeks in which they made the most money and then dividing that by 16. So the benefits, uh, of course, will be reflected by 55% of that number. It's going to be less... Less money, fewer checks. So for, let's say for instance, fish plant workers, but this will apply to all seasonal workers. For the fish plant crowd, it'll mean from February until the beginning of snow crab season with no money coming in the door. Now it's easy enough to say, well you knew the changes were in place, well go get a job. Go move to another community for the additional uh, couple of weeks you need to work, but that's again easier said than done. When a lot of the opportunities were seasonal in many of these communities whether it be in the tourism sector or in the fish plants or whatever. So unless that changes, we've got a bunch of people in the province with no money coming in the door. And again, you can say, well, then save up because you know what's in the offing. I don't know how much money they've got to save for any day, let alone just this one change to EI. So if you're one of these people impacted by those changes, let's take it on. Oh, yeah, and housing, I meant to say, you know, yesterday when asked about it once again, because... Housing and cost of living is absolutely pummeling the liberals in the polls. The prime minister said he could have and should have done more. And you know what? He's right. Extend that to every premier across the country. I mean, just like we see in healthcare shortages and otherwise, it didn't just happen overnight. This has been growing. And now we are all across all of these levels and boards or, pardon me, industries, the crisis application using the word crisis is absolutely applicable. So anyway, I want to throw that in there. And out of nowhere, we saw the trip to India, and once again, the prime minister being widely roasted for his relations with India and other countries, but those trips to India are not working for the prime minister. Now we're told that through intelligence gathering, the prime minister says that there's reason, and every reason to believe, that the Indian government, through their agents, are responsible for the assassination of a Canadian citizen. Hardeep Singh Nijar was shot dead outside a Sikh temple in Surrey, B.C., June 18th. So he had been receiving death threats, his son thought that there was always something more to see here, that the Indian government may be involved, and now the Prime Minister says that they are. So the Indian government says of course that's absurd, the Indian government has labeled him a terrorist for his call for uh, separation for Sikhs in the country, Uh, the independent Khalistani state that is being supported by he and many others. So the label of terrorist, even if the Indian government labels a Canadian citizen a terrorist, to violate our sovereignty, if indeed this is true, and have a Canadian assassinated is huge. So now on top of foreign interference in elections and this allegation or uh, accusation, of course then the next steps will be both countries to expel senior diplomats. That's all fine and dandy, but that's a diplomatic game. That really doesn't get down to the brass tacks. So the RCMP are conducting the investigation. You know, the Prime Minister has said he has briefed our allies, including the Americans and the French and the British, on this issue. But Kind of out of nowhere, and talk about strained relations with India, I guess this will mean that maybe forevermore those types of strains are in place. Even conservative leader Mr. Poliev says, if this is true, this is obscene, or I can't remember the exact word he used, but you know, acknowledging the bare bones fact, regardless of where you lie on the political spectrum, if this is true, this is huge. Anyway, we're on Twitter. For VOCM Open Line, follow us there. Email address is VOCM.com. When we come back, let's have a great show. We're going to kick it off with the Mayor of St. Mary's. That's Steve Ryan He wants to give us an update on the dilapidated fish sauce plant in the community. Then we're speaking with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show and I forgot to mention it and thanks to Rod for reminding me that in addition to Taylor Heist being the number one uh, overall pick in the Professional Women's Hockey League draft yesterday St. John's native Princeton University star Maggie Connors also drafted by Toronto. Congratulations. to Maggie, let's begin on line number one the top of the board say good morning to the Mayor of St. Mary's that's Steve Ryan Good morning Mayor Ryan you're on the air.
2: Thank you penny have a good morning
1: to you. Welcome to the show.
2: Uh, and T said I was calling at the South Plant I'll give you a quick, quick update actually I'm calling about the fish plant. But on the South point a quick update is uh, we're after making a lot of headway. Uh, the samples are gone away. Uh, we're hoping to have them back in about a month and then we're going to get into the process of the clean-up. Uh, never would have been done without our MHA, uh, Ms. and General Welch, and Minister Davis, which we're after going above and beyond, uh, getting this on the, on the move and getting it cleaned up. And I, I greatly appreciate your help and your help too for for us coming out and putting it out to what, what we really have here in the community uh, saying that i 'm getting that uh, I want to talk about the fish plant uh, petty this is our first year back down seven or eight years for the fish plant uh, We had a great year uh, we had two full shifts uh, everyone got to qualify for e i even with the increase in uh, in with the, the hours, uh, I know it's not ideal. I heard you talking earlier about it. They're going to be cut off to EI in, uh, say, February. Uh, but you don't have to depend this year on, uh, on the C program. Uh, this area here was one of the biggest draws on the CEP program, which is make work for people who don't, uh, don't uh, know what it is. Uh, we went from there to about, I don't know if we're going to need any projects at all this year. And that's a success story in itself because our region drew over five hundred thousand dollars in seed programs last year, and now everybody went and made a living for themselves in the fish plant, and uh, it's after really working out. We had uh, our workers in the plant are getting twenty-three fifty an hour. Uh, it was not the highest paid as one of the highest paid plants on the island, so they made a good income for the couple of months that they they worked. Uh, our town is we're likely to say we say is doomed, and this house houses being sold and houses built. We have a we even have a person doing up an apartment building. I never thought we'd ever be able to say that the town of St. Mary's we're gonna have an apartment building. And the spin offs my own business here is just unreal. It's one of the busy summers that we had. But we're getting that petty when we got when we got our license back last year, uh, the to board recommend we get a license. And between uh, the board and when we got the license, uh, somebody re- we put a cap on our license. They capped us at £2.5 Uh The board was put in place to take politics out of the fishery. Somewhere between the board recommending recommend us getting a license and we get a license from the minister, a cap is implemented. My opinion, just my opinion, is politics came into play somewhere for us to be hit with a cap. A cap uh I remember today we were awarded the license. I sat down the owner, and he said that's a recipe for disaster. Two point five million is only a uh, a drop in the bucket of what what you have to do to make a business profitable so saying that we we want to get the cap lifted. we have uh, we want to be on the same playing field as the other facilities here that operate Teddy, we have a we have a foreign government here we're all greenland run facilities they have no cap. But we have a family-run business after spending over $10 million here to investment, and they're kept. So where we're too we, we want to get this done now because they want to plan for next next season. Uh, this is the first time in 18 months there was no traffic in the parking lot of the fish plant uh, as the first time the parking lot is empty. 18 months we had tradespeople there for almost a year getting the plant ready. And they want to do renovations, and they want to do other work. So we have tradespeople here on, on the way to going back to work and starting the next step. And we're, like I said, we're, we're able to process a lot more crowd what we have. We have a workforce, our uh, members of her MHA told me, she said, go prove yourself. She said, "We can't, when we first got the CAP, I said, that's like, I wanted to, I wanted to get a lift. She said, prove yourself. Uh, I think the owners, the community, the workforce for sure, we're after proving ourselves. We're able to handle what we got and we're able to do a lot more.
1: Do you have an idea what a compar- comparably sized facility is uh, processing versus what you're allowed to based on the cap?
2: Uh, just plants are, well, are between 6 and 10 million is what a lot of plants. Some plants are up to, up to 20 million. Uh, one in particular, do do 20 million odd, but we we could handle. We could definitely do 10 million, 10 to 12 million pound of crab at our facility. And saying that, uh, right now, uh, there's a big issues in the in the. You have lots of calls, Paddy, every day with fishermen are tied up for two days, three days, they can't go, uh, t- two or three days, two or three weeks actually. And we're a solution to that. Uh the the crab fishery is very time sensitive. There's a lot of stuff and, and people are gonna to listen to me now today and you're gonna have nine chance of ten, you're gonna have the person here with the processor come back and say, No, no, he's wrong, he's wrong. No, the the season is time sensitive. Did you ever see a perfect crab season yet? Just between strikes, delays, the land of control is ice, you had COVID, uh, then you have soft shell, you have wind. uh, And then, for for sake, say say something happened in uh, March before the season opened up. Imagine that plant that does the £20 million, imagine that burnt down. What would happen? They're, they're to the brink, those, those process facilities, facilities now that are there, are to the brink with what they're able to, to do. And if something is to happen, for sake of a breakdown, even for a week, as felt through the industry, as as totally felt. Uh, our plant on Canada Day weekend, uh, uh, this, uh, a lot of the workers didn't know, was shut down because we've done, we done our cap. Canada Day weekend, Patty, four weeks into the season, we had our cap hit. They came, they shut the plant down, our workers were sent home. We spent Canada Day weekend between myself, the owner, and our MHA fighting to get something done so our workers go back to work. They had approximately 250 hours. An 11 11-hour 11 hour deal was struck, and the solution was they let them process overflow crab from other plants. And that's what we've done. So we continued our season. The workers uh, have an excess of around 600 hours, but it's because this deal was struck. That deal is not going to be there for next year. We're going to start off again with our $2.5 million, which is not acceptable. If that deal wasn't struck, our workers now will be all looking for those C programs. Uh, and you have votes tied up for three weeks, got land or crab. It's just a no brainer. Uh, they want a solution. Uh, there was a fishery report released this summer that said to utilize your species to the most. We're not utilizing our species. Our crowd quota, Petty, is after doubling in four years. Last year alone, it increased 9.4 million. Out of that 9.4 million, 6 million pounds were left in the water. 6 million pounds. That's a lot of dollars left out of our economy mm-hmm. it, should, it should be done right on down right to, right to the worker in the plant
1: now you're doing exactly what you're elected to do advocate yes, on sure. behalf of your community but when we have a seasonal total allowable catch more crab for you means less crab for someone else so how do you suggest that circle gets squared because that will be the pushback that every other plant operator will say that to give more to the plant in St. Mary's means you have to take some from me some from my neighbour some from this plant some from that plant because there's a, there's a finite amount that gets, that's allowed to be got
2: yeah that's what they're going to say I mean, they, they respond to my that's exactly what i are going to say but, when you have an increase of almost double amount of crab with the same amount of plants in the last four years there 's enough crab to go around it to share the wealth it's and you leave crab in the water, six million pounds left this year to save short in season there 's something wrong with every season we should, We should process to the fullest and dave they, 's Like, I I know it's grieved, and we have a a lot of power. Those four or five companies, Petty, you hear it every day. You hear about a cartel. It's there. The power is frightening what they have. It's just frightening what they have over the fishermen, over the industry. And I'm even going to say power within the government. They, they have a lot, a lot of power, and their say is listened to. And that's why I'm saying, I, I'm um, my last thing I'll say here, I'd like for the Premier, and I talked to the Premier, I think I was on June the 10th, at a, a fundraiser, and I invited him to come out to have a look at our facility. And I'm going to invite him again, I'm going to invite the Minister, just come and see what we have. Uh, in the fisheries plan, they want some, one of the things is action right away, action right away is lift that cap on us let, let us go out and let us process crab like we can do and we're going to take a heat off heat off a lot of those other plants uh we're not taking their crab when, when an increase in quotas there if they're able to process you hear stories about the other plants uh the workers are working 60 straight days 70 straight days they can't even take a day off that shows that we're, we're at a we're at a breaking point with the capacity and the plants, and and they're talking about another increase in quota. You have a, a processors just fighting to want an increase in quota. I could only imagine. I'm a business person. Can you imagine me saying I want more business? They want no more business because they can't handle it. They can't handle it. You're like I said. The quotas after Dublin, and no more plants. We got a, we got a, a, we're the first one now processing new two point five million. And Petty, it sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot of crap. 2.5 million is, you have those prior facilities. some facilities doing well over 100,000 uh, pounds a shift. Uh, you don't be lying by uh, chewing up a, a 100,000 pounds of crap.
1: No doubt. Steve, uh, I appreciate the conversation and, you know, the pushback or the response will be predictable. It doesn't make it right, it just means it's predictable. I appreciate the time this morning, Mayor Ryan. Anything else quickly before I have no, to go?
2: I greatly thank you for giving me a minute to, to tell my story. And like you said, I'm an advocate for this area. And, uh, Patty, a uh, quick one, too. Uh, I don't know if you knew that Mayor Sh- Michelle Lee stepped aside the week. Uh, for some health reasons. She was a big, big uh, supporter of me on this, this license, and I wish her all the best, and uh, hope she gets well soon.
1: As do I. I had heard that through the grapevine. I have to reach out to Sheila. Thanks for this, Steve. All right, Petty. Thank Ta- you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, St. Mary's Mayor Steve Ryan. Now Let's take a break. When we come back, Pauline is there. Tom is there. And, of course, we're also going to talk about, of course, this is Well-Being Week here in the province. Scoffed in many corners, but getting it right is going to be good for all. Don't go away
0: start your day off right get the latest updates on news traffic and weather conditions plus interviews with today's newsmakers your go-to source before you get on the go 530 to 9 a.m. weekdays your VOCM mornings welcome
1: back to the program Join us on line number five is one of the co-chairs of Health Accord NL that's sister Elizabeth Davis sister Elizabeth you're on the air
3: good morning Patty.
1: good morning to you welcome back to the show
3: thank you very much
1: so People may get a little bit tired of me talking about the social determinants of health, but the most important part and the starting point or the jumping-off point for Health Accord is exactly that. Given the work that you and Dr. Parfrey did and all your subcommittees, how does the government's announcement of Wellbeing Week jibe or line up with some of the key recommendations and your understanding of what the Health Accord means?
3: Well, really, the 52 weeks of the year should be Wellbeing Weeks, as we know. But we also know that from time to time, We need to create images so that people begin to understand differently the way they look at health. So that's what Wellbeing Week, I hope, is going to do. It's going to be able to encourage people to broaden their thinking about what really determines our health. We know the health system has a very important part to play, but much more important than that is where we live, what group we're born into, uh, what we eat how much food we can afford, uh, how safe our homes are, do we have a home to live in? All of these factors have more to do with our health than the health system, which is simply there to pick up the pieces, I guess, when those things fail. So what being weak does, it kind of jars us into thinking differently.
1: I don't know if this is the right way to phrase this question, but... Give us your reaction, not only to the announcement of well-being and the different uh, conversations we'll have this week and awareness campaigns that are being entertained, but with with the recommendations requires action. How do you grade the government's reaction to the health accord and putting some of the wheels in motion so that we can implement some of the key recommendations and more a heightened focus on some of those uh, social determinants of health? Are they on the right track? Are they dragging their heels? How would you characterize it? Well,
3: as you know, I'm not working within government. Right. To- now. I only see it as you do from the outside. Um, The announcement of this Well-Being Week tells me that government is taking seriously the broader picture, and that really is important. Um, We're we're struggling with so many issues in this province. I suspect government is trying to find its way to, to find a balance among them. You know, we don't have enough access to family doctors we don't have enough comprehensive care uh, across all the disciplines on the one hand so these are very real health system issues on the other hand we have the more fundamental issues of housing you and i have seen tents begin to appear around this city because there are too many among us who don't have any place to live um, we're seeing the cost of food rising. How can you have talk about choosing healthy food if you can't afford to pay for it? So there are many, many issues here which tells me that government one part of the solution um, but there's so many other parts. So all of us as ordinary citizens the private sector the public sector itself apart from government. So we all have a part to play in making this really a more
1: healthy place some of the messages and recommendations and conversations they feel very uh, adult so when we get them young whether it be a volunteer or some of the messages and how we craft them for school-age students might give not only a better understanding of what these social determinants mean but attention to them as individuals do you think there's a need for us to kind of recraft some of the messages to hit a, a more focused target audience younger than 21? Because a lot of this stuff feels like, you know, housing. My children will live with me until they get a place to live that they can afford. And my uh, the amount of money I make doesn't necessarily relate to my children and their behavior and their attention in school. So is there an opportunity here to recraft the message somewhat to make sure that it's digestible for younger Newfoundlanders and Labradorians? Because getting them when they're young can probably keep them when they get older.
3: Yes. Now, be careful, Patty. Don't fall into the trap that we all fall into of thinking uh, by convincing people about how they should behave. They will behave that way. Many, many people in our society don't have the uh, uh, supports they need to make decisions. So too many children come to school hungry because their parents are poor too many children come to school uh, not feeling they belong because some way we as society include exclude certain groups. So working with children in school is more than trying to change behaviors. That's important, but it's not enough. We have to be a a child-inclusive society as we have to be an elder-inclusive society. And we're neither, you know. We look at children as almost people and old people as used to be people. And if we don't change that fundamental approach in society, we're never going to have the kind of inclusive society that is fundamental to better health.
1: I think I was more about the understanding of the issues versus trying to modify behavior. You know, because we can talk about healthy living and Canada's food guide and being active and all those things. I think I was more uh, interested in messaging so that we have younger people understand the issues because before long, they're voters. Before long, they're part of the working public. Before long, they're taxpayers. So when they understand it, that's where public pressure comes to bear and politicians will be swayed by public understanding of issues, public plea for change. So I think I was more thinking about understanding the issues versus telling them that you should do this, you should do that, don't eat this, don't drink that.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that, Patty. I'm a lifelong teacher as well as a lifelong learner, and I do think that our this has to be a whole-of-society approach. So before children go to school, how we even frame our our daycare system mm-hmm and in the school that exactly what you're saying, that every part of our teaching in school has to be about inclusion, has to be about uh, people understanding and children understanding health more broadly. Absolutely. We do it in school, we do it in university, we do it in the workplace. Uh, we have to find different strategies for every single part, but you are if we're really gonna change society, we 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 certainly have to make sure that children are part of this.
1: Some of the big issues about you know poverty reduction or housing or access to health care, interaction with the criminal justice system, some of these things are they're massive. They're monumental tasks. Some of them won't be accomplished in the short term. We can move towards improving the system. Are there any not easy. Are there any so-called low-hanging fruit? Are there things that can be done in short order to begin the process for further attention to social determinants and whether it be broader understanding or government policy? Do you think there's something else that we can do quickly that is not being done?
3: I, one thing I do think we have we have the capacity to do is create regional social and health networks. So our province in our province, what we have going for us is that we have a really good sense of our cohesion. Now we have lots of excluded persons, but by and large, we in this province feel connected to each other, and I and and we're very connected to our place. So I think these net, we can begin to create these networks where we bring together on the Dona Vista Peninsula or in the Placentia area or on the southwest coast. We bring together all the people in that area who have some contact with our health, justice people, health people, education people, private businesses, municipalities. We bring those leaders together in their area and say to them, what can we do in our area? What could we do quickly in our area And what do we need to have A kind of a long term plan for in our area These networks That are not very common But we were very clear in the health accord That these are fundamental Building blocks to do exactly What you're saying Which is to take us away from focusing On single issues And get us looking together And until we do that it's not going to happen Until we do it together How do we create that network of people in the local area who know the local area best and can identify who is most in need in this area of us making a change. So these networks I'd really encourage to be put in place quickly.
1: As usual, I appreciate the time, Sister Elizabeth. Final message before we say goodbye.
3: Patty, I just can't thank you enough for making this one of your causes, because I think unless voices like yours can certainly have an influence on the way people look at things and think about things. So I commend you for doing this, and I really encourage all our listeners to think more broadly, more creatively, and look in your place and see what difference you can begin to make so that all of us are a healthier, see this province more healthy, more health equal, and have health equity with better health outcomes for
1: all of us. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much, Sister Elizabeth. Thank you, Patty. You're welcome. Take care. by Elizabeth Davis, uh, one of the co-chairs of Health Accord. Uh, Let's take a break on time. You stay right there, Tom, to tell us about what he sees uh, out around the hub. And, Paul, you're also in the queue to talk about the newly announced smoking and vaping restrictions that are going to be in place Wednesday, September the 27th. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let us go. Line number three. Good morning, Tom. You're on the air. Hi, Tom. David, do we have line number three potted up? Good morning, Tom Badcock. You're on the air i put time on hold. Let's keep going here and go to line number... Dave, can you help me get out of three? It still has me on air here. So, one second, a little gremlin in the system. Let's see if we can get uh, David's assistance in helping this out. Or, do we have Tom? Okay, line number one. Good morning, Paul. You're on the air.
4: Yes, good morning, Patty. How are you?
1: Very well, thanks. How are you doing?
4: Not bad for North weather as well. Good. Uh, what I really want to talk to about is uh, why can't the government look at uh, cutting the taxes off the light bill of, uh, of people? <laughs> Our light bill, wouldn't that help people who are living in, in an apartments uh,
1: along the way? Well, I mean, a reduction in any of my bills would certainly help, and the province can take a look at those types of things, sure.
4: Okay, Uh, and that will certainly look after uh, people who are living in apartments paying the light bill. Uh, Okay? Okay. Uh, And the other thing I'd like to talk about, uh, uh, seniors uh, who are uh, trying to live in their own home, having to pay uh, uh, for uh, uh, home support uh, that they're not able to pay, uh, why can't the government look at uh, uh, putting uh, forward a bill of, uh, of uh, cutting that out because it's in, in, in effect since uh, 1982, uh, it's the same bill uh, that uh, people uh, with low income got to pay towards home care.
1: So, uh, there's a bunch of things there. So, one thing, there is going to be more and more of a conversation, even nationally and provincially, about things that could be done to keep seniors in their own home as long as possible. Now, at some point, you might need a level of care that means long-term care or acute care. There's no other choice. But seniors want to stay in their own home, by and large. And there's more can be done. I know there's talk about a tax credit for remaining in your own home, a change in the way we talk about institutionalizing people and the costs associated with it, and like, for instance in a long term care setting versus in your own home. So things like that I think will see a change in attitude and a change in policy there. One thing where people can indeed see some savings, whether it be those savings spent on food or bills or what have you, is come this winter with the application of the federal carbon tax on home heating fuels, that's a problem. Even in issues regarding clean fuel regulations, that's going to be a problem too. So one place I think government can indeed have a look is the application of taxes on home heat because we have no choice just like we have no choice but to eat we have no choice but to heat our home in the northern climate so there's a couple of places that we could probably save
4: and people in the northern climate they get that rebate uh and back uh here even in july should we, we had our uh, uh uh heat on here in abalone's insula
1: yeah there's there's certainly times outside the winter you might need to put on the heat for a little bit in the house but i mean i think you get my point the winter is the much more likely season when you're gonna have to uh turn on the heat you have no choice but then people make a choice right sitting around the house with two or three sweaters on or going to the mall or you know maybe not filling a prescription all the different things in the corners that we all need to cut to pay the bill so there's this winter is going to be a big test on that uh, carbon tax on home heating fuels Uh, anything else paul before we make a, a move to another caller
4: uh, yes uh, any kind of indication we went to harbour air material was put there to connect east from the west and what they're doing is replacing the concrete barriers brand new concrete
1: barriers and the lighting Yeah,
4: but uh, I'm sure uh, three quarters of that uh, of the concrete barriers that were there uh, were, in, were, were they could have been replaced and I, I took a run out there uh, a couple of days ago. It's not going to be this winter, it's going to be done. It's going to be two winters.
1: Yeah, it's in bad shape. I've avoided it at all costs. It's just so slow, and there's so many big divots and uh, dips that I stay away from it as much as I can. And the lighting had to be dealt with as well. So there are some of the delays there. But it was far too often to go, and there's no one working on it. So but like those,
4: many times. times it was barriers. Yeah. Uh, uh, putting brand new ones instead of using the uh, existing ones.
1: I suppose you got to break them to take the lights out, though, too. I'm not 100% sure I'm not involved in that industry, but I appreciate the call, Paul, and hopefully that gets done ASAP, and hopefully they have a look at some of the tax on home heating fuels. Thanks uh, for this. Stay one, in touch.
4: One quick thing about... Very quick. Uh, how are you going to uh, staff... Uh, uh, are uh, to c- control the, pe- the smoke in the parking lots. Where do, uh, is that going to be another government cost?
1: Well, I, I mentioned it off the top. I suppose that Confederation building and Health Sciences and other types of government buildings like that, they have security that are already part of the staff. I guess it'll fall to them. But let's say schools and the like, I don't know who, who gets the monitoring task and how they're going to enforce it. That's a question that I have as well, and I think it's a good one. Okay. I've, re- I've got to get to another call, Paul, but I appreciate the time.
4: Uh, I the, wish uh, the, uh, the provincial and the federal members are listening to this call.
1: Someone's listening. I appreciate this. We'll follow up. All right. that's All the best to you. All right. Let's keep rolling. Let's go to line number three. Good morning, Tom. You're on the air.
5: Good morning, Patrick. How are you this
1: morning? Not too bad at all. How about you? Uh,
5: not too bad. Uh, Patty, uh, the reason I'm calling is for uh, two reasons, to just... The primary reason is to let the people surrounding the hub know that what's been happening around us here lately uh, is totally beyond my control. Uh, I'm not sure whose control it could be falling under. And what I'm referring to is the amount of uh, sexual activity, for the sake of a better word, that's occurring around our building. I had a 45-minute conversation with one of our neighbors there a few days ago who keeps telling me that uh, it's like watching porn under a ramp. Uh, And uh, two of my staff, one lives on Field Street, one lives on Spencer Street, and they tell me it's it's incredible. Uh, The amount of activity that's going on with, with young girls servicing and and boys uh, In the la- just yesterday uh, I was making a delivery over to Carl's funeral home, I just went down the street, turned right by Chester's there was a young girl that waved at me, I didn't know what was going on she came over offering sex, uh, going into the building, one day last week, there was a young girl there I uh, asked her we could help her she says uh she was a service provider i thought she might have been a respite worker or something that goes to show you how up-to-date i am so i went in telling the girls they all laughed at me and said she's offering oral sex to you it's incredible it's absolutely incredible patty what's going on around the building uh this has been going on now for the last year or so and i don't know what to do Uh, we're frustrated the neighbors are frustrated uh, as the amount of sexual activity that's happening right in front of our eyes uh, right in the parking lot at the hub on the weekends uh, i'm afraid that the photograph it because it's almost like you're taking pictures of kiddie porn because some of these young girls are don't look to be more than 14 15 years of age uh, the police have been aware of it by, by myself by the neighbors and you know we're at our wits end but i just want to let the neighbors know that if they could suggest something or somebody could suggest something to to try and control this then we take whatever action is necessary but we're wet our wits end <laughs>
1: You know, of course, the immediate reaction might be, you know, what does the conversation with law enforcement sound like? Have you also, maybe in addition to that, because I know you probably have, you know, have you reached out to, say, for instance, Angela Crockwell over at Thrive who deals with sex work or at the Status of Women uh, Center or anyone of the like? Because they may indeed be able to give you some advice and or be made more well aware of what's going on. Don't know if they are going to be able to help or or change what people are seeing in the short term, but have you had any of those conversations?
5: I haven't spoken to Angela. I know Angela because she used to be a tenant in our building before before they moved. But we have reached out to the schools to to uh, see if there was some way they could let their students know because I think uh, a lot of them are coming from the school just down by the gathering place, uh, Holy Hurt. I think they may have come there. So we've reached out there to ask if they would see if anything they could do to announce because it looked like the girls are students there. Uh, But yeah, maybe I should call Angela and say something you can do to help us. I I know the police uh, had staked out uh, on our lot for a while. They were there last week as a result of that big bust they had across the street from us. Uh, But, uh, you know, we'll do anything. We'll do anything to try uh, to stop us. Like, I can't go out and I can't confront these people in the act. Uh, for a lot of reasons. Number one is that you know they're going to say I'm involved or they're going to attack me saying I'm some kind of a pervert and I'm engaging in this stuff, which is the last thing I need. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to Angela when I finish the call with you and see if maybe something she can do. Uh, but it's just it's, it's absolutely totally out of control. And I mean totally out of control. It's <laughs> you haven't got to pay for it anymore just come and park on our lot all weekend long and here they are and one of the neighbors suggested putting uh, putting mesh up under our big ramp there but we we did that the fire department made to take it down because they need access to a lot of the water valves under there okay so uh i, I just just don't know what to do where i would end here
1: well, uh, good luck with it, Tom, and let me know if uh, how the conversation goes with Angela. I don't mean to put her on the well, spot. I, it just popped on my know, mind.
5: I know, I know. I, I will give her a call and see if something she can do. And maybe, uh, maybe some of these people are, are her clients. I don't know. You know, I don't want to put Angela on the spot or even suggest that. But uh, uh, and maybe some of them are not. You know, and I don't want to dump on on uh, The Gathering Place, but it seems that uh, a lot of the people that are hanging around in our area now uh, are patrons of, of The Gathering Place, which is just down the street from us. And again, this is not a dump on The Gathering Place. They do wonderful work and, and for a lot of people. Uh, but since The Gathering Place has, has been there, we found that there's a lot more people picking up butts and, and things like this hanging around our lot and we've had to just get rid of the butt cans and all those kind of things so maybe I'll speak with Paul and the people down at, uh, at the gathering place to see if there's something maybe we can do to, to put stop to this so,
1: I appreciate anyway, the time thank you
5: for hearing what we've, uh, I had to say this morning
1: no problem Tom, stay in touch Okay. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. All uh, right. Let's take a break for the news when we come back. Alvin's here to talk about what he sees w- regarding the behavior of the motoring public. And Anita has a follow-up
0: to offer us here right after this. And then we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision-makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to the
1: show. Let us go to line number five. Good morning, Alvin, you're on the air.
6: Good morning, Paddy, how are you this morning?
1: Not bad, thanks, how are you doing?
6: Good, sir, uh, I'm a first time caller to your show.
1: Welcome.
6: And uh, this morning, I want to talk about, uh, if I'm allowed, I'd like to talk about uh, the very, very shameful uh, Highway Traffic Act or, or, the, or the justice system that we have in our province. Um, Two years ago today, actually, uh, I was involved in a very fatal car crash. Uh, we left Bishop Falls, going to Stevensville. And uh, before we got, uh, when we got about like, three kilometres east of Beaver Junction, uh, this guy stole his wife well over the yellow line and ate on us. And he killed the driver and my wife, honestly, the, died on the scene, actually. And the girl in the passenger seat, she was uh, injured, and I was injured in the back seat as well. Uh, the gentleman that ran into us, he uh, he came somewhere from up in Ontario, but he's a Newfoundlander. He lives on the East Coast. He came from Ontario. He got on boat in North Sydney, and he left Port that morning, and he drove towards uh, the East Coast. And on his driving that day, he was... Uh, he had a video cam in his
7: uh,
6: in his truck, actually. And uh, as he was driving, that uh, he was a few times he was talking to his mother and his sister, and uh, and he was telling them how tired he was, and uh, and you know he didn't have any sleep on the boat, and he was so tired, and he was, you know, and he shouldn't. And his mother was trying to tell him that, you know, you're tired, you're tired, get off the road. Do you need somebody to to Do you need me to send somebody to uh, to come and assist you? And a little bit later, his sister called. Same thing. Oh, I'm tired. I'm really tired. And his sister also pleaded with him to get off the highway, go take rest, pull over somewhere, take a nap. And in a video cam somewhere on his journey, he told his mother that he've already turned around, going back towards the west. He was driving east. But he was that lost or out of it that he coming from Port of Bas before he got to Springdale, he already turned around twice going back towards Port of Bas on his drive this this is this is not a made up story this is the fact this 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 uh, c d was shown in court at the at the court
1: okay, and when you say out of it, is that that he was under the influence of something or tired or
6: well, he, uh, I guess it was uh, both tired. Uh, under the influence, is questionable to me because uh, the, the Crown Prosecutor did say that he had cannabis in his system, but it wasn't enough to make him impaired. Okay. It's very questionable to me. Uh, I'll be honest with you, because I used to be a drinker one time. I don't drink anymore. I used to be a drinker one time, and I knew that when I drank with my buddies, perhaps uh, my buddy could drink tree beer, and be drunk and perhaps I could drink 10 beer and be just as sober as when I started. So.
1: Yeah, of course, and that's how we feel, it's not what the blood uh, results would tell because that's why we have thresholds of 0.8 and those types of things as opposed to, well I feel fine, like, you know, I've got a big tolerance, but that's why we don't l- let it be about tolerance versus blood uh, alcohol content.
6: Yes, so anyway, Okay. the other the other demise is about uh, about what happened. He, uh, this was two years ago today, actually, and uh, like I said, uh, he waited to the eleventh hour on the on the eighteenth of June to go to court, and then he pleaded guilty to the charges, uh, you know. And on the twelfth of September, the judge uh, passed on his sentencing, which was very, very, I, I felt demoralising, and I'm not, I'm very dissatisfied with it. Uh, the thing i'm really really demoralized with is the point that he gave this guy a $3,000 fine the $3,000 fine to me wasn't that it wasn't enough fine or it was too much fine to me there wasn't supposed to be a penny when human life was involved that got changed that floored me that that took the that took the legs under me actually and a year suspension for two lives after knowing he was tired. He shouldn't been on the road. His mother telling him to get off, and only get one year suspension after doing those things. After you know, and you you, and you continue to make that decision.
1: Yeah. Yes. You know, fair enough. So while we're talking, there's a listener who who sent me a social media message saying, how a tired driver is not considered an impaired driver, I will never understand. I guess the issue there is, unlike we have blood alcohol or blood cannabis content rules to make sure that we uh, carefully say that you are too intoxicated to drive, I don't know how we evaluate whether or not you're too tired to drive. If you admit to being too tired to drive, that should have an implication when these things are dealt with in the court. Like, for instance, when I got behind the wheel to drive to work this morning, I would have classified myself as tired because sometimes I'm tired in the morning. So I don't know how we actually put that into the criminal justice system. Because I get your point, but I just don't know what classifies too tired, right? Because I was tired when I got uh, behind the wheel this morning, but I wasn't too tired to drive to work.
6: But, you know, Patty... Uh you, but I, I guess last night that you, you, you went home, and I'm sure that you went to bed and you, you, you had a nice rest.
1: Yeah, I you got know, in bed I, I pretty got, early. I got to bed early, to be honest. Well,
6: okay, you go to bed early. Yeah. But, and you were still tired this morning when you got up. I understand that. But you take a man that uh, started driving from up in Ontario and uh, drives to Nova Scotia, gets on the boat and says that I didn't sleep last night on the boat... And, and and go, you know, and, try, and then decide on drive all the way home. But coming the in there, too, not
1: it? it? It does. I, I agree with you. It's reckless and it's irresponsible, no doubt about it. How you factor that in, I don't really know. I'm just being honest. I don't know how you include that in figuring out whether it's a fine or a jail time or how long you lose your license. I don't know, but it's absolutely irresponsible.
6: Well, I, I personally, my personal thought on it is the jail time don't really matter to me uh, a fine which is like to me for human life that's what uh, that's the price to pay for Jesus the 30 pieces of silver and perhaps 30 pieces of silver back in that day was the same as $3,000 is today I don't know but anyway to me the suspension on the license was very very lenient after knowing and uh, knowing what you've done and you're saying you're really really tired
1: yeah I and get your point point. you only got
6: a year suspension totally understand
1: I totally understand where you're coming from
6: Yep. You know. And the other thing I, I got to say this morning is to, I all respect in the world for the RCMP and, and all those people that's out there every day. They're out there, they're risking their lives, they're dealing with guns, they're dealing with drugs, they're dealing with everything in the world. And the same people they catch today, you'll be catching them tomorrow again, the judges will just say, oh, we'll let you out, you go, off." just And just set them off They just do the same crime Over and over You know I do know What's going on The justice system Is going to have to be uh, Going to have to be Overhauled Or somebody going to have To do something about it
1: if someone admits on a dash cam video and the audio or a video says i'm too tired to drive i should not behind be behind the wheel and then they go on to be to cause an accident or a collision and to hurt someone or to kill someone obviously that plays some sort of role what role it plays i don't know how, how the judge considered it but three thousand dollars seems uh, three thousand dollars in one year suspension seems pretty lenient
6: it is lenient and and, and it's absolutely ridiculous I, I I you know I'm not sure like you said earlier that you were you were tired this morning when you came to work on some mornings I guess if I go to work tired I do yeah. too. but I mean if I'm going to, if you're going to work this morning Paddy and you, you're going uh, down Water Street and you realize uh, that the other place that you're going up Water Street I mean it's time for you to go back to bed, be not it
1: isn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I drove right across the country uh, a number of years ago when we moved from Alberta to here. And the times where I felt like I was just too tired to keep going, I slept in the parking lot of a gas station outside of Saskatoon. And I couldn't, I couldn't even make it to the hotel because I was dropping. I just could not drive anymore.
6: No. And that man was the same way. You know, he stopped his truck. This guy stopped his truck to tie down his load. Okay? This video, just, this video was shown in court over there. I've seen it. This guy stopped three minutes or a few minutes to toy down his, his load. He had an Argo or an ATV in the back of his truck.
1: Okay.
6: He stopped to see if his load was, uh, was, uh, was solid or, or stable. And he got in his vehicle three minutes after he got back into the truck. He stole his way across the yellow line and he hit on us. Three minutes mm-hmm. after he got into his uh, his truck again that's when he plowed into us and killed those two people and injured me and injured the lady that was in front seat as well. You
1: know. I'm sorry to hear it, Alvin, and you're onto something. And where that lands, I'm not sure, but it's unbelievable. I appreciate your time. Would you like to say anything else quickly before I have to yes, go?
6: Yes, I will. I, I would like to see, uh, uh, say something else. If there's anybody out there that's living in the same, uh, same situation that I am and, and, uh, and witness the same situation that I have, I'm willing. I'm willing to to fight this justice system tooth and nail to to get it change. That, that's ridiculous, and it's not for what it's going to bring back to me now. My my wife is gone. She's not coming back. But hopefully, we could change it to save lives of other people that's out there going through the same thing.
1: Here, here. I'm sorry for your loss. My condolences, Alvin, and I really truly appreciate your time this morning.
6: Thank you, sir, for listening.
1: My pleasure. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh, boy. Uh, Let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, When we come back, we're talking car insurance. We're going to speak with the mayor of St. Vincent, St. Stephen's, and Peter's River, and then lots of time to speak with you. Oh, Anita has an update. She called last week looking for information on how to connect with one of the post-secondary institutions to see if we can get a student to rent a room in her home. That update and more coming up after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go for the update on line number two. Good morning, Anita. You're on the air.
8: Patty, thank you for taking my call. Happy to do it. Uh, I called Mr. Belvin, and anyway, uh, that was last week, Laura got back to me on Wednesday, and uh, she said they don't uh, match up students uh, with uh, residents or with, uh, you know, families anymore. But she gave me a number to call, and the new number now is 864... Two zero three three. So she told me to call that now. And like I said, I was waiting for you to come back. You're off Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm going to call that this afternoon now. And she said that more likely that she'll get a male person that will come in and be able to, you know, do a few things around the house or shovel the driveway or whatever for me, like you know. So sounds good. I got. I told uh Greg. Dave, I mean, you're worth your, your money in gold or your weight in gold. <laughs>
1: if I'm worth my weight in gold, I'm a rich man.
8: Yes. <laughs> but you're you're rich. You're wonderful.
1: <laughs> I appreciate it, Anita. So at the end of the day, did you find someone or are you still working on it?
8: No, I'm, this afternoon I got the call because I was busy all day yesterday, right? So I got the call this afternoon, but she said that she did have the male person that, you know, that probably her and me would interview or whatever and he would, you know, come in, like I said, if I needed a bit of shoveling to do, done or cut the grass or a few ads and ends around the house, like, you know. But I'm doing much better, like I said, I mean, you know, I'm still on the action but my eyesight is actually improving, you know, a great, you know, a lot better than what it was, so.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that.
8: yeah. Anyway, this is my second phone call. Now I might be on every week. Now I might be like Marjorie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to call. It's a nice break from some of the other uh, issues that we talk about. Uh, it's okay. good to have you on. I'm glad to hear that the eyesight is improving. And yes, let me yes. know how your interview this afternoon makes out, works out. I
8: will. Thank you
7: very much, Patty. And have a great day. The very
1: same to you, Anita. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Uh, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number seven. Good morning, Tristan. You're on the air.
7: Hi. Good morning, Patty.
1: morning to you. All right, Basquiat, how you doing? Not too bad. Great.
7: Um, my issue is I'm calling about car insurance. Um, now, I don't know really how to go about this, but I had insurance I used to pay the full year down, and I recently got a letter from my insurance company uh, stating that I had been cancelled, but yet they had sent me a cheque of $1,600. So when I called to ask about it, it said I'd been cancelled for a mispayment, and I owed $400. So when I went to go we and went to $400, they wouldn't accept it because of a canceled payment. So I'm wondering why send me a check if I'm canceled? Like, I, I didn't think the insurance company was in the business of giving money back. And now, like, my issue is trying to find insurance. I don't know how to go about it because I'm considered canceled, which is like a high risk driver, same as a drunk driver. So how do I figure this out? There's certain. There's you know, no. Now we'll want to fall year down, right?
1: Yeah, there's no trick to it There, where you can have to uh, find a different way than what we all do when we're trying to find the best premiums, the best policy, is it's a shop around issue. And I know that's time consuming and frustrating. And once you've been canceled once, it becomes very difficult to get into a manageable premium. So other than shopping around, I wouldn't even know what to tell you, Tristan.
7: Like, but, like, why send a check if I, if I owed money? Why send me a check of 1,600 bucks? Like, that's I don't what I don't understand. Like, and just to tell me that all they can tell me is that I've been canceled for a mispayment. How would I miss it if they had money belong to me?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure i follow along with that. I don't know how they arrived at that money, because if they had 1,600 belong to you, then how do you get canceled? Like, I don't even know what went on behind the scenes there.
7: Right. Like, I don't get it either. No one will seem to tell me anything. Like, is it a mistake I'm there in? They're afraid to talk about it, or what is it? Like, I don't know. seems like if you uh, If anyone can help or tell me, because I, like, is there a certain insurance company that will take you? Like, because I know once you're canceled, it's pretty much next to impossible. Right.
1: Let's see here. I just kind of dragged up, you know, what to do when you your car insurance gets canceled. If you send me an email, I've got a couple of links that I can send along to you that might be of some assistance, some help. So I'm reading down here. Good, you know, it's a bunch of Q&As about what to do when and if this happens to you, and maybe some tips to prevent insurance from getting canceled, all that kind of stuff. So if you send me an email, it's just openline.facm.com. I'll send you whatever I think might be of any assistance to you. Okay, perfect. Okay, good luck. Stay in touch. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, that's... So they had $1,600 belong to him and cancelled the policy and sent him the money. I don't know. Uh, Let's go to line number four. Say good morning to the Mayor of St. Vincent, St. Stephen's, and Peter's River. That's Verna Hayward. Good morning, Mayor Hayward. You're on the air.
9: Good morning, Patty. Welcome to the show. Thank you for allowing me to uh, speak on your airwaves. Happy to do it. (laughs) I just want to back up uh, what Mayor Steve Ryan said. Uh, we thought, like, every every day it seems like nothing is smooth sailing, literally. <laughs> and uh, we thought, you know, everything was successful. And uh, last year, well, we knew there might be issues with the quota. But, um, like, the morale in this area was amazing all summer long. And people, like, it's ironic that I listened to Sister Elizabeth Davis say it's well being week and people were happy uh... there's more to work than money like many people were very very happy to be out socializing even now they miss their work and uh... here we are now we're back to the grindstones again we've got issues with the e-i changes uh... we have to fight now for the quota like honestly like and i mean people were never happy to have to be on those c-e-e-p programs so The government is saving all kinds of money because people went out in the workforce, and people felt valued. And like Sister Elizabeth Davis said, all these things, uh, you know, factor into you being happy and healthy. And now people might have to go six, seven weeks without EI. And look at these economics. I mean, people are struggling even with their paychecks to live.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I hear others say that when we have these changes in EI and going from February to the start of crab season, and then we are just talking about plant workers here, what that's going to mean and how people are going to try to make their way through those weeks, you know, whether it be not filling their prescriptions or not turning on the heat or not eating properly, it comes with lots of complications. It's one thing about your mental well-being and to feel valued and feel like you're contributing. It's quite another to try to have to make decisions regarding, you know, eating and taking your prescriptions and turn on the heat so we might see people just unfortunately be sick because of something simple that's triggered by stats canada unemployment numbers there's got to be a way to figure this out
9: oh there has to be i mean i call on all our mps now that are in ottawa uh we have ken mctown representing the avalon uh like to really go to bat like for this and and do what they can, I mean, like, many people worked very hard, some people never even took lunch breaks, and, and like, over around the base, I mean, people never even took days off. And and yes, and many people got, like, lots of hours, but the way the weeks are factored and everything now, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult if this doesn't change. So, you know, you've got to feel for those people. And I call on Prima Fury and the Minister of uh, Fisheries to come in and take a look at our fish plant that we have here and, um, you know, try to see what they can do to share the wealth, uh, share the crab quota, and so that this region, and I'm not just talking about St. Mary's, uh, the, uh, you know, the spin-offs were far-reaching like right to Brigas, right to Trapassi. And, and, you know, like the, the spinoffs were just amazing. And, and we need to look forward to that coming up again, say, in the spring. And we hope and pray that there will be no more delays and, and that, you know, this will be smooth, that we haven't really got to go out and hit the pavement and make up more placards. But if we have to, we will.
1: And fair enough. Uh, This is something we'll follow up on. It's interesting you mentioned Ken McDonald because he's also in the news. You know, he's kind of broken ranks a little bit with the Federal Liberal Caucus on a couple of matters here. He's speaking out about carbon tax on home heating fuel. He's speaking out about clean fuel regulations and other cost-of-living issues that that are really hurting Canadians. And add to it today, we just heard that inflation has increased all the way to 4%. So the pressures are far from over. And I guess Mr. McDonald has, you know... He's spoken out on behalf of his constituents, as opposed to simply tone the party line, which I think many people think is admirable. Because far too often you get voted in, and whatever the party says is what the party gets, and you don't, you know, dare step out of bounds. So, good on Ken for, you know, saying people need a break. Good
9: on him, and, I, and and I know he will go to bat in this situation, but it has to happen. I mean, like how can people live? Like, you know, people have to put food on their table, like you said. So somebody's got to step up to the plate and, you know, make the changes. It went from 420 to 455, then to 490. But then it's the weeks uh, factor that That's seems right. to be impacting our uh, people. And, you know, like, if people just were so happy. Oh, wow, I mean, I even got 500 hours, which was a lot of hours, considering the delays that happened. So, you know, but I mean, like we just constantly, constantly have to be always on our toes and always ready to go to battle. And, you know, like and that, and we do it if we have to, uh, you know, like I, I encourage many people, the, the people who are really impacted uh, to call you and to write letters and send emails to their MHA, who's fantastic, by the way. And uh, email the, the the premier, email the M- MPs. Like you are, we have the democratic right to do it. So do it. You know, uh, there's strength in numbers. And I call on everybody who's impacted, like you know, the real people who are impacted at the fish plant, to speak up. You know, and, and do what's right. Like send an email. If you don't, if you're not a public person, you don't want to go on the airwaves. You can still do things behind the scenes
1: absolutely you can and you should because there's a lot of big issues that are not in front of us today but February is around the corner and this is not only going to be a one year issue this might indeed be triggered many times in the next number of years it's good to have you on the show this morning Mayor Hayward I appreciate the time
9: thank you very much
1: you're welcome take care bye 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 that's uh, Mayor Verna Hayward St. Vincent St. Stephen's and Peter's River okay let's take a break coming up on October 17th running through the 21st of the month the St. John's International Women's Film Festival one of the best and biggest Uh, Film festivals in the world. Don't take it from me. That's the review coming from filmmakers around the world. That's going to be at the Majestic Theater. We're going to speak with Nicole Diggum. She's the manager of the St. John's
0: International Women's Film Festival coming up after this, and then you. Don't go away. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation.
9: If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day.
0: Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM
1: welcome back to the show let's begin this segment on line number three and say good morning to nicole dignam she's the manager of the saint john's international women's film festival good morning nicole you're on the air hi good morning good morning too how do you pronounce your surname properly Natalie Dignam Dignam yep. okay I was pretty good uh, welcome to the program so here we go I've actually been fortunate enough to be involved with the film festival a couple of times over the years uh, co-produced a couple of things with my uh, partner in crime Chrissy Holmes so tell us about what's coming up let's start on opening night so I know Ruth Lawrence has directed Party Pirate written by her son Luke he's actually the lead in it as well what can you tell
0: us about Party Pirate
10: all right. So um, I haven't seen it. It's very much under underwrapped. I'm so excited, though. It's uh, produced here in the province, and there's been a lot of growth in the uh, film industry as well in the last few years. As you may have heard, um, Picture NL, formerly the um, DGFC is uh, rebranded, so just like a lot of exciting productions and it's really funny and uh people may know of Luke Lawrence because he is a comedian um so we're so excited to have something really fun and funny and produced right here in the province opening um and we have a lot of really exciting uh local films I think one of my favorite things about the festival Is well, and now you can go see all these films at the beautiful Majestic Theater that's opening soon, um, is that going to the shorts programs, you'll watch like eight or nine different short films um, and just get to like experience films from all over the province and really all over the world. So we have a lot of really good uh, short filmmakers From Newfoundland and Labrador, who are featured in the lineup this year, so that's really exciting. Why the move to
1: the Majestic? Now, I can't wait to see the inside and all the renovations that Tara Bruce have done, and they're actually launching their uh, the Wild Rovers or yeah, Wild Rovers coming up maybe even this Friday night. So I'm excited to see the insides and the new work's been done. But why the shift from the LSPU Hall?
10: Well, the Majestic theater is a bit bigger, and also um, as a film festival, uh, we. Uh, need some certain kinds of technology to screen our films. So uh, as you may remember, uh, we've done opening and closing at Cineplex Theater in the past. So it's it's really great that the Majestic Theater has invested in this um, projector that we need now to screen the films. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great quality. Not that it wasn't we loved our home at the LSU Hall, but moving downtown more to the Majestic Theater is really exciting for us as well
1: one of the things that it's not just watching features and shorts is also that whole network issue so looking to mentors and industry roundtables those types of things sometimes get lost in the shuffle people who want to attend might be interested in seeing a friend of theirs and their short and or to go see Luke and Ruth Lawrence's uh, feature film but it's that networking stuff which is invaluable
10: Yes, exactly. And with the, um, industry really growing in our province, uh, it's such an exciting showcase of the talent here and we're bringing in more people than we ever have before in terms of filmmakers and industry professionals. So we have a week packed for the film industry form of that lineup, um, where people will be speaking. We're back with our face-to-face, um, industry sessions. So all of that is really exciting. And also, um, We'll be having filmmakers do the Q&A's uh, after screening, so that'll be really great for audience members. You get to be in the theater with the filmmakers, which is always brings like another level of excitement to that.
1: People don't realize how big the industry is and what it means for uh, you know a portion of GDP and jobs and taxes and the rest, and then you add in the film credits, and all of a sudden we've got a professionally trained crew, which is very attractive to even companies like the Disney's of the world. So the momentum is there. How do we build on it?
10: Well, I wouldn't say that I am uh, the, the, the person who's most keyed into how to build on the industry right now, but I will say um, just being here with the film festival and seeing our lineup and how exciting this is this year and how big we are this year, um, I think that it's, it's just clear to see that the industry is growing. We have... Uh, it growing in all sectors, not just from productions from Away, but productions happening here, as well as the education, you know, um, this new CNA program where we're training people here to fill those jobs. So yeah. a lot of things happening in a lot of different sectors that are really coming together to make Newfoundland and Labrador uh, a really exciting place for film right now to see it, to film it, um, to create it. So. I love that we're building on that momentum and and bringing people together to really enjoy that.
1: And people are gonna get to see some films that have been test driven in front of audiences elsewhere at different festivals. And this festival has proved to be a very successful uh, launching pad or jumping off point for other films that are created here and then seen elsewhere. So it's been a real huge success and bravo to all involved from Jen right through the entire team. Uh, For folks who wanna go and check out any of the events and or any of the films, what do they have to do?
10: so i encourage everyone to go to womensfilmfestival.com our tickets are on sale right now our full schedule is up um we're so excited we just announced this full lineup yesterday so so we can't wait to welcome viewers back to the theater this is our first fully in-person festival since 2019 and i think it's just going to be really exciting
1: uh here's to a terrific film festival this go around i appreciate the time this morning natalie
10: Great. Thank you, Patty.
1: You're welcome. Take care. Bye. That's Natalie Dignam, the manager of the St. John's International Women's Film Festival. All right, let's go to line number one. Good morning, Marie. You're on the air.
11: Patty, uh, you have to to be patient with me this morning because I'm uh, physically and mentally drained. And I tell you why I'm physically and mentally drained. I am a landlord, and I have a situation where... I have pimps coming to my door in $90,000 machines entering my basement apartment. I have drug dealers. Uh, and also, I'm dealing with drugs in the home. I am, I am so exhausted with our system, it's not even funny. I have gone to the police and reported this crime that's going on in my home. I called Sunday. The girl that was on the number that I called, I called 911. They said it wasn't an emergency. I called the other number they gave me, and I spoke to them, and I pleaded, I begged for protection in my home. They said it's not a crime. A person can be a whore in our society, bring all kinds of debilitating people to my door, bring them into my home.
1: Yeah, because the illegal part is people paying for sex, not selling it, Um, so just put that out there. And people can choose whatever words they'd like to. So where, uh, is this in the city of St. John's? Yes, it is. So have you evicted, gone through the process under the Residential Tenancies Act and evicted the tenants?
11: I've gone to the, I went to the police to get help. They told me the landlords had to deal, what you're mentioning there right now. I went there, I've been under so much stress. I'm not sleeping. I'm up all night trying to protect my home because I don't know what's gonna happen next. I'm mentally exhausted. I'm not sleeping. I'm trying to protect my home because I, because of what's going on in it.
1: So again, uh, you are the landlord, right, Marie?
11: I am the landlord, yes.
1: Okay, and just so I'm clear, have the tenants been evicted I and evicted, just simply won't leave?
11: I, I, I gave them a five-day notice. I went to the landlords and they told me give them a five-day notice because it's uh, disturbing. I, I have no life now. My life is completely gone because of all the stress I'm under. <laughs> I went and gave her a five-day eviction notice. She totally ignored it. She totally ignored it. I couldn't even get to her. I had no way to get to her. She locked the door. She locked the door and wouldn't let me proceed with even serving anything I hadn't served.
1: Right, now you can go down through the 90-day uh, eviction process and uh, ensure that they'll be evicted and will be forced to leave.
11: Uh, P- Patty, sure. Yes. I've been through so much. I can't wait another 90 days. I can't wait another week. Uh, I had a hearing coming up. I had a hearing coming up on the 28th of this month. Things have escalated in my home. My safety is at risk. My other tenant I have, their safety is at risk. And I don't know which way to turn. I've turned to the police for help. The the girl I was speaking to on Sunday with the police department, it was like she had a hole in her head. She had no compassion for what I was going through, none whatsoever. It was so cold, it's not even funny. It's not even funny anymore. I, 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 I locked my gate. I locked my gate so she couldn't get in. So she could so they wouldn't bring the pimps. And the whores to my door, and and, and out in my laneway, fighting in my laneway because of the men she's bringing here. I'm exhausted. I can't had, deal with this anymore the system is wrong they protect the criminal but they don't do nothing to help a senior and I made no wonder that poor woman at Mount Pearl died when her her grandson went and he killed her she probably was doing the same thing and she had to lose her life over it
1: yeah I I don't know what happened there to be honest Uh, I mean it's an extremely sad story I mean there's a 14 year old charged with murder and a poor lady dead I mean that's an amazing story Uh, Marie maybe the the city of St. John's, who also deal with Residential uh, Tenancy Act matters, maybe some advice or some assistance can come from the city, because that is part of their ballywick for things that they deal with, so I'd also try to make that call. You might not have any choice but to go through with the uh, the 90-day issue. Just one second. Marie, someone out of the corner of my eye, I just saw someone send something in here. Da, 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 da. Okay, so... I'm going to put you on hold. Dave's going to give you a phone number. I have someone who's in the landlord business that thinks they might be able to help you out with the process. So maybe that can help. So do you want me to do that for you?
11: Patty, what I'm trying to tell you, my time is running out. My safety is running out. I can't wait even till the 28th. I'm
1: trying to do the best I can. Marie, I understand exactly where you're coming from, and I feel terrible for you. I'm only trying to help. So maybe that this person can do that. Would you like his number? And if you don't want it, that's fine.
11: You know, I'll take I'll take the number, but I, I I don't understand I don't understand our system today. All the criminals can go out, the police the police can build up a case, and because they're so exhausted building up the case, and they make one mistake, you gotta you gotta lawyers out there getting them off on a technicality. Our system is sick and twisted these people are criminals. Treat them as criminals. Don't go giving them money uh, and put them in places that they cause more hurt and heartache to people. The social services is even just as bad. It's just as bad because they're giving them money knowing they got problems and they're not telling people that these people got records and they're putting them in people's homes and jeopardizing people's lives. They're playing with lives. It's just as well as they took a gun and shot at themselves. I'm sick of the system. I'm sick of how this whole system works.
1: Marie? I feel bad for you, I really do, and I wish it wasn't the case. What I am going to do though, is between thinking that maybe the city might be able to help, and I'm going to put you on hold, and Dave's going to give you a number to someone who's in the landlord business, and might be able to be of some assistance. And if that's the case, I hope that that is. So for that much, and anything else I can think to try to help you out, I'd be happy to do it. But Patty, okay, but Patty okay, okay.
11: Yes, I've, I've made several trips into the landlords, I've made several trips. I'm so mentally and physically exhausted through this process that they got. I couldn't even fill out the forms anymore. I couldn't even fill out the forms anymore. Every time I filled out a form, every time I filled out a form, thinking I was in the right, they got around the system. They they, they know the law. They know the law. They know how to break the law. And they're laughing at it. They're laughing at it. And, and, and saying, look, I can get drugs in the system if I want them I'm a senior I got to pay for my drugs they can get they can get they can give whatever drugs they want and put them back on the street again and we got doctors doing that. and uh, I'm so
1: sick I, so I understand sick of and we hear you and we're getting a little far afield from your tenant issue but everyone understands and can hear the pain and the frustration and the anger in your voice I'm going to put you on to David now he will give okay. you the number that I talked about and you can feel free to give us a call and let us know how things work out, okay?
11: I will Patty, because you know
1: Okay, I understand Marie. I'm gonna let David speak with you and give you the number, okay? Okay, there we go. Hopefully we can get Marie some help there. David, is she on hold? Do you have her there? Okay. Let's see what we can do. Uh let's take a break when we come back. Evan wants to respond to what heard from Tom. Uh about the gathering place and also the fact that the area code changes on our phones. The reason why, we'll talk about that after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Good morning Evan. You're on the air. Oh, hey, Kai. How are you doing today? Doing okay. How about you? Oh, hmm. good morning. Um,
12: I just had a few... Um, uh, I wanted to... I had a few small comment questions and um, just on a, a... Actually, well, two of them relate to previous callers and uh, one's about the area code.
1: <laughs> okay. That's all right? Yeah, sure. Fire away.
12: Yeah. Um, so insurance the guy called about the car insurance yep yeah i had something similar happen with my house insurance it wasn't exactly the same but um, basically i paid uh i was just td uh, uh house insurance and i missed a payment and then in january i missed a payment and then i paid my payments in um February, March, April, like, I paid, you know, like, I i caught up and everything else. And then, like, six months later, because I missed that payment in January, they cut me off. And then I wasn't able to get the same coverage. Like, I had, it, I, I felt like they were just trying, because I had a good deal, right? I felt like they were just coming down to boot
1: me. <laughs> um, okay, I've actually got an email from Tristan and I sent him along a couple of links, including a couple of companies that have been recommended by others, and a couple of uh, tip pages and uh, Q&As that hopefully can help na- help him navigate his next provider. So we'll see where that one goes.
12: Nice.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Um Gathering place. Gathering place. Yeah, let's go.
12: Um, yeah, I I, I, I see. I missed the first part of that call, but it, it, he was at uh, uh, the cigarette, cigarette butts,
1: right? Yeah, it's that and that and other types of activities he's seen in and around the property, that is the hub on Mary Meeting Road. You know, he did say he's seen an uptick in <laughs> oh, that.
12: The hub, I thought it was the gathering place.
1: No, no, he's saying or, that he's seen a, a surge in the numbers of people on the property, whether it be going through the cigarette cans and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And you know, the gathering place is relatively close, buy, so he's he's made that correlation, so that was his thoughts on and mm. why he mentioned the Gathering Place.
12: Oh, okay. I missed that. I, I just thought he lived, like there was there were cigarette butts somewhere, and I was, I was going to put, uh, like, a ash there, maybe, like you know, so something <laughs> might help, right? I, uh, but I guess so. i misunderstood. Yeah, no or problem. And he did go on to qualify, down. though.
1: Yeah. He did go on to clarify, or to qualify that he wasn't trying to come down on the clients of the Gathering Place, because he knows... No, no. Okay, go ahead, I didn't
12: sound like it. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry, Patty. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tom's also in the service business, so he gets it. I think he was just, you know, making the you know, the observation that he sees more people uh, on the property with doing those types of things, and mm-hmm. he did, you know, qualify that he's not coming down not only the gathering place, but and with their clients, because these are people in mm-hmm. pretty difficult life circumstances. So, yeah, he did offer right. that much as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
12: no, there's definitely a surge. Uh, yeah, I've had a lot of staffs. Like I feel like Teddy Clinton. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. And then, um, oh, this will be short. Uh, yeah, the last thing, uh, you, you probably discussed this when they made the change, but, you know, you know the area code, how, so, like, it, I just, it reminded me when I went to call in, right, because I, I uh, yeah, they tell you the number on, the, they say, uh, open line, I think it's 237- Two, yeah two seven three, five two, two one, one,
1: one, yep,
12: five, two, one, one, yeah, and I typed it in, and it's like it gets you know, that error, do, 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 and it sends like, ah seven oh nine two, three seven. And uh, I don't know. I just wonder what you thought
1: of that. Or if, 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 well, I, if I, I say know. it off the top of the show. I say 709 273 I guess if it's in mm-hmm. any of the bumpers, we have to change it because you're right. People are going to have to dial mm-hmm. 709. And the reason why the CRTC made that change is to accommodate the incoming uh, mental health crisis line. So, yeah. Yeah. and that's 988, if I remember correctly. In addition to 709 and the need to dial it, Dave, do you have something? Okay, also the province is getting a secondary code. 879 is also coming to the province to, just based on the numbers of phone lines registered with these the, the utility. And the CRTC now says that we also need a secondary code, which is not new in other provinces. And like in Ontario, there's got to be like 10 or 12 or more area codes. So, yeah. Of course. Okay. I, I, but
12: I believe, unless uh, Nova Scotia and PEI both use 902, no? Unless that's
1: changed? Nova Scotia is 902. I don't know if they have a secondary code. But like, for yeah. instance, when I lived in Alberta, They're it was. more than us, eh? Right. When I lived in Alberta, it was four zero three or seven eight zero. So, and in Ontario, yeah. there's all kinds of different area codes. Yeah,
12: it's Toronto. Oh my God, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, no. And I just—it's I, funny. I just—I always liked them um, because people would come to visit here, and you know, you give them a phone number too, and they give them a, you know the seven-digit number, and they're like, "You don't need an area code here." It's like, no, it's like, like what? It's just like I'm going back and talk. I just thought it was, you know. But, I know, mean, I'm sure
1: I'll get used to it. <laughs> yeah, we will get used to it. It'll just become uh, old hat. You know, one issue that people are going to be frustrated by is having to go into their address book on their phone to add 709 <laughs> to all these numbers that we already oh got banked. God. But, uh, yeah.
12: Luckily, like, I, I've had that already. But, but yeah, no, it, it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, but it's, it's just a small oh, noise. And, yeah, the reason... That helps uh, line right. That that was yeah. That was the, re- the reason. But I I didn't know about the secondary code. that's I'm going to look into them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, eight seven nine is coming. They say we will have exhausted the the uh, broadband or the bandwidth of uh 709 mm-hmm. before long and you know it reminds me of a seinfeld episode where people who were all living in the 212 some people got maxed mm. out of the 212 and you felt like you were a pariah was that elaine got <laughs> bumped out of the 212 yeah anyway funny yeah. stuff anything else quickly evan before i gotta go
12: oh no that, that's pretty much it um yeah there was the the uh, i just let me think one uh, um yeah i know even in canada like I, I know um like toronto i think there is a 416 and 905 and i believe 416 is a little more like prestigious than the 905 well you heard the like federal
1: that? election gets decided on the 416 and the 905 i think because uh, people have uh, rightfully oh, oh, yeah. pointed out <laughs> okay. over the years uh, a bit fair. late for the news evan i appreciate the time
12: okay Th- oh apologies thank you so
1: much no, Daddy. no problem uh, welcome back to the show anytime Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks, Evan. All right, let's take a break for the news. When we come back, Mark's there to talk about Wellbeing Week. Tom was to talk about some school curriculum. And Cyril's in the queue to talk about the roads on the Southwest Arm. Don't
0: go away. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune in to Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line six. Tom, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Good
13: morning to you. Thank you for uh, letting me on your show today. No problem. It's an emotional show, actually. It's been a long time on hold, and uh, listening to some of the stories of Newfoundlanders and librarians is heartbreaking.
1: Can be, that's for sure.
13: I don't know how you do it every day. A couple of of quick comments. And um, St. John Bosco, they just released a tender uh, up there to re- to convert it from oil to electric uh, heat but they're actually using baseboard, electric baseboard heaters which will have a really high demand obviously in the morning I, know, I don't know if they're really thinking that very far forward but they're spending $1.9 million to convert the school to baseboard heaters and I sometimes wonder if it's because the consultants and the contractors will make more money on baseboard heaters by running heavier wires and heavier panels and uh, versus heat pumps which would be you know, one-half one to one-third the demand and electrical consumption. Of course, Newfoundland Power is going to be one charging the province for the electricity. So I just want to throw that out there. I, I don't see the logic of it. Um, also, uh, just to touch quickly on the EI controversy, and um, and I don't know how we reverse this trend that we have leaders of all levels – with, you know, complaining and, and standing up to Ottawa and threatening to go out in the streets when there's something dysfunctional with an industry where people work 12.25 weeks and then don't work for the rest of the time. And that's baked into the system. You know, when when people, if people pay the maximum EI for the 12 weeks, they pay $239 to the, into the EI system, which is not supposed to be a make work system. It's supposed to be for people when throughout their lifetime maybe once or twice they may need that there or on average um you know if you over your entire lifetime you might pay in 20 years you might pay twenty thousand dollars into the AI system if you maxed out how much you could possibly pay so yeah i just feel like i don't know what's wrong with our culture and sometimes i wonder if, if when we wonder why ottawa or dfo treats us the way we do when we have fisheries issues it's because they look at how we look at the industry and, of course, the fact that these really large companies also benefit from it because they don't have to have an industry that operates, has to pay these people or have these people on standby. I just, I just think it's a big conversation. but I, I Well,
1: really for the most part, Tom, you can't fish year around. That's some of the complicating factors. And I mean, it's not just the fishery. There's lots of seasonal industry in this country. It's either people move to be closer to uh, job opportunities that are year round or more expansive than that. But I don't dispute your point that the EI issue, it's a baked in, you know, people talk about the stamp fishery. And I mean, it's offered as a slur, but it is not inaccurate because for many, that's exactly what it is. This year though, it's the complication with the triggers, uh, the triggers that are different for EI based on the province wide and outside, pardon me, that's not true. The outside, the Northeast Avalon uh, uh, unemployment number. So that's the complicating factor this year, on top of the baked-in concerns that you just uh, articulated.
13: All right. I mean, I just want to put it out there because I, I do think it's a challenge that needs to be addressed by the province, and and I don't have any easy solutions for it. And I'm, I'm not being judgmental. I just it just bothers me when I have, hear these really, you know, important people being very like. In the moment about it, and not addressing the fact that maybe this is something we should be addressing on a bigger scale. Uh, this is Wellness Week. And I, I want to applaud the different people, and I, I'm not sure even show, I guess it's politicians maybe, but I think it's senior bureaucrats as well, and and people like Dr. Parfrey and Sister Elizabeth who are doing some great work. It it takes a lot of courage and possibly unpopular leadership to call a spade a spade and not endorse or just allow. Maybe unhealthy lifestyles, just to be in the background, and and I, you know, and these and these unhealthy lifestyles do shorten lives and obviously reduce the quality of life of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, and at the same time pushes the healthcare system to the brink of collapse, and also pushes our financial situation in the same direction. So, you know, things like healthier eating and 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 doing all these measures, I I think it's really positive, and you know. I, we have uh, a lot of call for like sharing the harvest. I think it's a great, a great initiative. I also want to remind people that all around the province, there's these amazing apple trees. On a lot of times, on old homesteads, on old land, and these apples just fall on the ground. And, and we're getting close to the point where, depending on what part of the province you're in, and I don't know if up in Labrador they have apples, but probably. I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, you know, for people who want to look for healthy alternatives. You know, obviously, if it's on someone's property, you should ask permission, but a lot of times these apples just rot and just fall on the ground. So, you know, what we do is, is we'll actually go pick them and, and then peel them and cut them up and freeze them, and you can add them to oatmeal and things like that. And it's a source of, you know, that, that normally would be wasted. So I just you know want to throw that out there as a, as a contribution to Wellness Week.
1: And let's get to your topic of choosing.
13: Okay, so in Newfoundland and Labrador... Um, You know, we have some challenges, obviously, and and I'm looking at – I want to dial in on uh, pornography and specifically children-consuming pornography and what impacts that might have. Uh, 80% of adolescents and young adults have viewed sexually explicit material. The average age is 12 years old. 15% had their first exposure while they were younger than 11. Where do these numbers come from, Tom? Oh man, honey, you're going to ask me that. Um, I, think the United, I think I think UNICEF, I think UNICEF, but I looked at three or four different studies. It might have been National Institute of Health down in the States. that's where between a combination of those two and 15 and percent their first exposure while younger than 11. So, so viewing sexually explicit material can lead, and there's I know Australia, I was looking at studies all around the world, but that these things can lead to addiction pornographic addiction um, poor mental health unhealthy sexual behavior objectification sexual violence and sexism and and a lot of times it's because you know us growing up we might there might have been like you know playboy or whatever so you know it was, it was pretty innocuous relatively speaking but now you're dealing with um, pornography that is yeah, you, know, you know, like children's – You know, a lot of the video games that children are playing and adults too, of course, and the, the movies and the different media that we're consuming. You know, you'll sometimes go to the lowest common denominator if it's available. And so the concern, and, and as well, the other concern is our children. And this is not data you can easily get, but are they, are they actually are they are they consuming child sexual abuse material? So that would be like um, material that is that has children. So if you're a child, are you going to l- want to look at a 30 year old woman or a 25 year old woman, or-, or maybe someone who's your yeah, I don't know next turn neighbor? And, and, and we don't know. So, you know, one of the challenges starts with how do we prevent, because all about this upstream thinking concept, which is how do we prevent it? So, so or, or minimize it because you, you're not realistically going to prevent it a hundred percent. So, so it obviously starts with parents who usually own the devices that the children are using. And, and what you know, what seems to be recommended is that it is your device because you're the parent. So it starts with putting parental controls on the phone. And one of the one of the ways that children because so like f- apparently, 40% of children are actually consuming it, it at school. And I've spoken to a grade eight teacher who said that she went down one time and there was a boy watching it in the class while while and it, you know that obviously kind of crazy. But so they are children are using. VPNs, which is virtual private networks, to get around the school protection, and the only way they can install the VPN is if they have the ability to install apps on their phones. so one big thing that parents really needed to do as early as possible is actually you know set up the account so that the child cannot install apps, and then every app that is installed needs to have a, be a conversation as to whether this is a, a good choice. And you know it's difficult, but I find, I find that what's happening within with the provinces, every parent's on their own. Every parent is an island. Uh, and I think we need to figure out a way within schools and communities for parents to be able to get together, and and perhaps with some professional guidance from government officials or from organizations like the Canadian Center for Child Protection, to try and come up with like common rules so that it's not. You know because different parents think different things forty five percent of parents think twelve to fourteen years old is old enough to have a cell phone twenty eight percent think fifteen to seventeen is the age
1: there's a difference they... in thinking they're old enough to have a cell phone versus thinking they should be surfing porn all day
13: well but unfortunately, if you don't take control of the devices, then it's the same thing so as soon as they have the phone, as soon as they have the phone, then they have the ability if you don't if you don't put the protection in place, and a lot of parents don't want to be. Because every parent is an island and everybody doesn't want to be, everybody else has got a phone and everybody else has got the ability to put whatever apps on they want. So, just you know, one thing that,
1: yeah, but that goes back to the old ads, right? So, if my buddy's jumping harbor, doesn't mean I have to, right? So, you're you're
13: correct, but, but it seems like within our society, um, we don't seem to have that community coming together to make these community wide decisions. Every family is an island, and I think we need to try and move away from that, and parents need to find a way to connect, and le- community leaders need to find a way to connect, and one final thing I'll just close with is that the Canadian Center for Child Protection uh, maintains a, uh, a database that basically screens, and CIRA, which is the Canadian Interest Internet Registration Association, I think, which is a not-for-profit that, ma- that maintains the .ca on the web, they actually have something called Canadian Shields, which you can install on the domain in your business or at home, which sorry, on the router in your home or your business, which I've done, and has three layers of protection. Uh, one of those layers is just basic, but the second one is protected, which blocks malware and phishing, which is really good to have you blocked. But the third one is family, which basically blocks pornographic content. But, but the way this is called Canadian Shield. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, I, I suggest people Google Canadian Shield, install it on your routers. And um, and and if you want to block the pornography, you can put the family mode, and you can also install it on individual devices, too. So, okay. you know, this is a conversation I think we need to have and push forward on. Thanks, Tom.
1: Thank you, Patty. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line two. Cyril, you're on the air. Yes. Yes, sir.
14: Yes, good morning, Patty. Morning
1: to you. I'm
14: up my phone a little bit. Yes, I'm calling in here about... Uh, all our roads and the the conditions that they're into. Uh, well, we got a lot of uh, patchy work done there uh, the year, but uh, they didn't. Uh, they got about another couple of kilometers. Uh, the road goes into Southport. There's none of that done, and uh, we got several places on our roads uh, coming leaving the Transcanner and coming down is in real, real bad shape. We uh, we got a area up in uh, Long Beach right on through the community and and beyond. Uh, tell the truth, I don't know how uh, the people up there let their kids get on the bus to to navigate uh, the roadway to get down out of it. To get down because they got to come down this way. to not little archies for to go to school. And uh,
1: so this is random sound, right?
14: oh no this is uh uh South time uh, you leave uh was a little uh, little ways uh, over from goobies you leave some time go down from northwest brook
1: okay yep, yeah, fair enough southward yeah fair enough okay got okay. it
14: and uh this is a real bad uh, stretch of road there i say it must be three or four kilometers and it's uh, well it's on, on that piece of road uh, a real steep hill and on top of it is a is a, a tandy. well I tell you how bad it is. they call it the horseshoe. You you can look at a tractor trailer or uh, the guys when you're making the turn, and you're looking at the at the back of her coming. And um the, uh, the guide rails is all heat away. Uh, you know, there's nothing left only a little stump. Uh, the guide rails is tipped out, and uh, uh, and we if, if you go out over the uh, anywhere there, you're going to run to the water. There must be a t- thousand feet down in the, in some of the gulches there. There, too, and and you go, you you know what I mean? If if a bus or anything rolls out down there, you're gone. You're not going to stop. Them Anybody uh, uh, get you the official out of the water? <laughs> you know, and it's uh, really bad. And uh, same thing down there from uh, from uh, Little Archies on down through right to south point There we got some real bad places. Same thing. Guide rails down or just about down. Uh, last year uh, it was a place to stretch a guide rail. that just fell down by the side of the road. And uh, it was that was a bad place, so they fixed it up. Uh, our the pipes crossing the road. Uh, there's people tells me, like, like around the rooms, you know, not only in the driveways, maybe there's a pipe going across the road, and they've done they've seen holes down through down through the pavement.
1: What does that mean? Pipes across the road. What kind of pipes?
14: Well, uh, you know, a water pipe, a, a, a little brook or something crosses the
1: road. Oh, in under the road, not on the pavement.
14: Oh, no, not on the road. Okay, it's I didn't know what you road. meant.
1: That's all right. Go ahead.
14: And uh, holes in the pipes. The stuff down there is forty, is fifty 50 years old. So it was just rusted out in, in Ghana. I know a fella uh, told me he, he had one to cross the main road in his house years ago. That that was 20 years ago. He told me all the bottom of the pipe was all lead away. I don't know how come it's not like, caved in. And, uh, like, they haven't been no major work done down here uh, since uh, uh, a few years before Ross Rasmusman. Uh, uh, gave up down there. We haven't had nothing done down this way. Uh, that, well, I, I can't blame it on the high road. Well, there's only uh, uh, a little time in the summer uh, they get to do anything, and most they do then. They don't do no ditch work anymore. We got uh, trees growing out in the road. Uh, uh, like I said, they've done a bit of uh, hot patch down here the year, and they didn't finish all that. And uh, trees growing out in the road. Uh, uh, I uh, one time last year, I, I met a tractor trailer uh, going up because uh, there are a lot of fishermen down there, and it was trees hanging over the mirror uh, where, where the past line, I guess, in the the area with past another kind of trees is hanging in over the road. Yeah, you know what I mean just, just, just like I said the road just, is, is terrible
1: a couple of things I mean you know it's one thing for there to be a delay between a bit of a hot patch or cold patch and the full repave of a road but when the allers are up against the shoulder of the road I mean that's just patently unsafe no matter where you are what speed you're driving that's obviously unsafe when a guardrail hits the ground the guardrail needs to be put back regardless if it's a guardrail keeping you from going into the ocean or simply going into the ditch There's the, the, the guardrail's are there for reasons. So if they're broken and or dislodged, they got to be put back right away. There's obviously Highway Depot's close enough where they can make quick work of that.
14: Yes. Now those, uh, i only just what I, what I hear is like, you know, uh, people complain about uh, the guide rails and they'll say, well, there's so much guide, you know, they just can't put it all back. Just too much. And, or either that we don't do guide rails now. You know, if, uh, if they had to come on this, this road there and send in, in a crew with a, a small excavator, it uh, would take a bit a month from just guide rails alone. You've you got to look at the at Department of Transportation. Uh, they go to work in the morning. Uh, well, I know. Well, let's talk about the hot patch first. I, I know this for facts that uh, they've had to go to St. John's and get a truckload. Now, they only bring in four a ton at a time in, a, in a, what they call the box. And uh, the, the rest of the crew is waiting for them to show up. they come to the area that they're going to put it, and uh, once they get that done, well, the day is not long enough to go to St. to and get more. Uh, I know a couple of years ago they, they was going down the past terminal of a pack down there somewhere. Now, there's a company in Clarival who, uh, a big company, does all kinds of road work, and they have their, I call it the cooker, they have their uh, machine going. You go, if I go to Clownville this morning, when I get up there, I, I'll see the TP the going with the smoke and everything, and they're probably doing a job somewhere. I meet, I know who they are, I meet their trucks on the road. And for all that Department of Transportation, you got to go to St. And get their, uh and get their asphalt. And uh, if if uh, I in all places on this road where cars or or trucks or the, the high roads themselves have done damaged guide rail, like that was like five or six, seven, probably ten years ago, and they haven't been fixed. Well, I, uh, like I said, another thing too, they only they only have small crews. Which is, well, one time they would have uh, a lot of labor work people, and uh, and so now the only ones is, is, is working is them snowplow operators. They they go back to I guess. You'll take so many of them and drive the truck or the loaders or whatever, and uh, a few of them labor work. but other than that like there's no, no big crews if there's where one time it, it, there was they don 't do any ditching whatsoever i don 't know when I and we got places on this road that uh like over the years you think that uh, you know well, I wanted they just put a excavator there and, and fix that away or whatever and uh, like I said to the, the pavement they only do the real bad places and you'll see uh uh, probably a stretch, and we see 20 feet at the side of the pavement might be gone. Uh, that might be a, a a bad turn or a or a hill that when you're topsing over, so you'll see cars coming at you. Probably you'll see the roof of them coming at you or or a truck. And when you said, "Yeah, okay, she's over in your land." Mm-hmm. That guy was trying to get cleared. uh, I call them half moons, like big pieces going out of the sides of the pavement. So really, you can't blame the guy for being over there uh, uh, in your your land, really, because... Uh, if he's uh, going to stick to his own side he's driving on the shoulder little the road
1: and that's why when we talk about bad roads as much as it's infuriating to beat up a wheel or a rim or your suspension for me the starting argument is is because it's a safety issue by and large a safety issue uh, Sarah, anything else quick I'm a bit late for the news but I'll give you the final word
14: yes yeah well uh, like I said uh, uh, that uh, uh, bad places in the road and you've got children and buses and everything you know, uh, like I said, I don't know even how they keep the bus operators, keep the buses on the road. So it's unbelievable. Well, anyway, Patty, thanks for having me on.
1: I appreciate the call, sir. I'll stay in touch. Yep. Okay, bye-bye. All right, just uh, take a break for the news. Rob's in the queue to talk about how the government spends money
0: on committees. What does he mean by that? We'll find out. Don't go away. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Rob. You're on the air.
15: Happy Tuesday to you, too.
1: Uh, Happy Tuesday to you as well.
15: And uh, I I just wanted to, your previous caller there, Cyril, I used to live down down the southwest arm too there, and um, it is a horrible mess down there. Um, Ever since Igor went through and and tore everything apart and separated everybody, there has just been no infrastructure put down back down there, and it needs to be looked at, really, for safety reasons.
1: Yeah, he described a pretty awful situation, but as usual, when I hear uh, people's justifiable concerns about the roads, I'm reminded that I can get a call from virtually any single part of this province and have a very similar conversation. Hey boy, even though I know unprecedented money to spent on road work this year and you can't pave every kilometer every summer, but there's lots of bad road, road networks out there. That's for sure.
15: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so my, uh, my topic for today, what I'd like to talk to you about is, uh, so every time the government, um, needs something done, they have to have a committee, and they're paying exuberant amounts of money, like tens of millions of dollars, over a year, to have a committee um, to say, like, look at hydro. Okay, there's not one. There's not one electrician there. There's not. There's nobody there that knows what they're talking about. So they they talk to other people. So they hire other people. And and the waste of millions of dollars instead of getting people that know what they're talking about.
1: Do you have an example beyond Hydro? Because I'm not familiar with what committee regarding Hydro you're talking about.
15: Well, um, um, what was her name there just last week? Um, uh, Like Jennifer Williams? Yes.
1: Okay. She's the CEO of Hydro, yeah?
15: Yeah. No clue about what Hydro is. They have no idea how transmission works. They, 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 They just hired one person and she, she said that on the air there. Um, just hired one person that has a bit of a clue. Um, but none of these people have any idea how the transmission lines work, how the actual transmission lines work.
1: Well, by and large, Newfoundland Power is the transmission company.
15: Yeah, but why are, we, why are we paying these people this money when they don't have a clue?
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't know Jennifer Williams. I've only spoken to her a couple of times ever. Uh, She doesn't come across to me as someone who doesn't have a clue, to be honest.
15: No, it's not not like she doesn't have a clue. But she's a... And it's like anything. It's it's a politician. You were given this job because you knew somebody. And that's what I find, like, in a lot of the places around... Like, if if you go to anything you know, social, you know, like... I'm sorry, I'm... A a couple
1: of the big committees that have been struck, no problem. A couple of the big ones that have been in place recently, we'll say. And yes, government spends too much money, I would suggest, provincially and federally, certainly federally in the recent past, on consultants. Committees, maybe not so much, because like if we look at some of the big ones here, the Premier's Economic Recovery Team, the whole Moya Green uh, group, that cost very little. The Health Accord was for the most part done by volunteers, and they've done some pretty important work. Now, consultants, that that's a different conversation. I mean, if you see the most recent numbers of lobbyist visits uh, on Parliament Hill, the amount of money spent on consultants, most importantly McKinsey and Company, it's just outrageous. There's no need inside a really seriously well-staffed, I will say, public servant ranks that we don't have people with the horsepower and the knowledge to figure some of this stuff out. So, consultants, one thing. Committees, I'm not quite as uptight about, but the consultant issue gets me every time.
15: Yes. Yeah, no and 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 that's probably where I'm where I'm at there too. Because like there's no reason why we have the knowledge of everything like you know when it comes to the fishing industry or you know the exploration of oil and everything like that, we have the knowledge here. Why not hire the people here that know the knowledge? And it, it's it's just it's just gross that they're spending money to uh, a firm in Texas. To come up here and, you know, I'll say, well, you should do this. And it it just doesn't make no sense to me whatsoever.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's for a bit of political, uh, plausible deniability, right? And or to say, well, we brought in the so-called expert in the field. They told us this, and so we did it. It might not be right. might not be the right path to take, but, well, that's what the experts told us. We do indeed have plenty of smart people working in the senior bureaucracy, which to me means we should very seldom, if ever, hire outside consultants. If it's for something really niche or niche that we maybe, maybe don't have the proper person for it, then small consultants, contract. Maybe. But the way we see governments use consultants is just we've lost the plot here. We've just too far too often and we've seen the numbers of hires, the added ranks of the public service, and something doesn't jibe on that one for me. Uh, final thoughts to you this morning. Rob, go ahead.
15: Yeah, no, that's uh, that was good for me. I just like I said, I just I just don't understand how the government can spend tens of millions of dollars to put it out to somebody else where they have no idea where we're living really and we've got all the people here that can can do that
1: fair enough rob i appreciate the time this morning
15: okay thanks a lot patty
1: my pleasure take care okay Okay, bye-bye all right final break of the morning when we go back mark's there to talk about well-being week don't go away welcome back to the show let's go to line number two good morning mark you're on the air
16: hey patty how's it going
1: doing okay this morning you
16: Good. Thanks for getting me on. It's a busy day this morning in our neighborhood. Um, we're just showing Paul Lane around, and we've got some media coming down later as well, um, just to sort of see what's going on. And obviously, you've heard from me and other folks about this neighborhood and and the uh, you know the the tie-ins to the social Determinants of Health that uh, that we're we've been advocating for. Uh, um, I, I wanted to I just wanted to bring attention to a big win. That we've that we've seen from our advocacy and from our activist work, um, we pointed out that it was completely ridiculous for uh, the board of trade event, the one hundred fifty five dollar non member fee, to go and see the minister of health and the uh, assistant minister of health uh, talk about where we are in our progress since the release of the Health Accord in Social Determinants of Health. So, uh, I'm glad to see that that's been removed from the uh, wellbeingnl.ca events listing. And I'm going to chalk that up as a win for us. We pointed it out. The sponsors are private healthcare providers, and uh, we pointed out that it it was just, that was ridiculous to have as part of a wellbeing week to pay to go to an update.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get and understand that point. I suppose if I'm working on Wellbeing Week and I'm having a, a presentation done by Minister Osborne and Dr. Parfrey, then I just kind of blend it all in or fold it all in without thinking it through all the way. Because you're right, when the sponsors are not part of the public system and we're speaking to a networking group of business people, then maybe, just maybe, and for, and for 150 bucks whatever it is, is to get and go see them, maybe didn't belong on the schedule in the first place.
16: Yeah, I mean that's my feeling, and I think that that's that government probably realized that it was <laughs> it was a mistake um, and removed it. So I'm, I'm super happy to see that. And so Bouquet goes out to all the activists and and advocates out there that are making change in this province on the issues of social determinants of health. Um, certainly, we do need an update, though, uh, a public update. So I would uh, I would ask that you know maybe in in your in your conversations, if the health minister comes on board or the premier, you can ask. You know, when are we going to get a public update on these, On what's ha- what's been happening with social determinants of health? Um, this week surely is not clarifying what that is or where where things are. I think that there was a presentation yesterday at a seniors' club, but uh, from Mister Parfrey. But we we need an update. Um, we also, Patty, I'm also going to throw a, a couple other things in there. Um, if there's an opportunity, one of the issues that we've seen in our neighborhood is housing, um, and for lack of a better term, slum landlords, um, where some of these, these houses are, are just not fit to live in. I mean, I look up from where I am right at the corner of Carter's Hill and Livingstone and I see an MHA uh, a media, the media are here. I know this, uh, that our MHA, Jim Din is coming down as well. Um, so there's a lot of attention here, but we need an update on on why the government has never fined a landlord. Corporate landlords are, under Section 51 of the Act, could be charged up to $10,000 per contravention day. This has never been used. So I'd, I'd really like to hear from... Uh, and maybe you can get an answer, maybe you can hear from Minister stodley and minister hogan and and just give us an update on what 's going on there why we 're not why we 're not seeing
1: this occur. Um, Put it in the form of a question because i like, 'm happy to ask anybody any question, so you know boil it down from maybe the vagues which generally gives me a vague answer in reply so make a specific question out of it you know whether we're talking about housing or poverty related matters or issues in school like give me a couple of focus areas where you think here's a question i'd love to hear an answer to
16: well i would just like to know like i mean the power is there it's it's unclear from my research who can wield this power whether the city can with the rnc can but the RNC in the city say no, we can't. So it's up to residential tenancies and the Minister of Digital Services. Like, why has this never been used? Has there never been a contravention that okay. required a fine? Why? Why has it never been used? Um, we we're seeing like, especially in my neighborhood, we see a lot of like, just for lack of a better term, like disgusting houses inside and outside, like boarded up. You know, the conditions are horrible, and and. Uh, you know, I know that a lot of these folks are relying on government, whether it's health funding or income support, CSSD funding, to pay for rent. So essentially, I mean, like, taxpayers are paying for this. Like, w- we shouldn't be paying for disgusting accommodations. And we have the power to find these landlords that are in contravention and continuously in contravention.
1: Fair, fair just, enough.
16: Yeah. W- why is it not happening? That's the, that's the clear answer. What's the process is also the other question um uh patty lastly i, I just want to uh throw some support out uh, jim Din has been really good at following what we need in our neighborhood he has um been working hard for a long time i think probably about a year to push for a community center in this neighborhood um, and- i just wanted to throw my support behind that and uh to let folks know that that is being supported in the neighborhood um, and that we need to, we need an update from that uh, on that from um, from Minister Pike. Uh,
1: happy to have all three aforementioned ministers on at some point. We'll we'll, we'll spa- space them out, obviously, so between uh, Minister Studley, Osborne, Pike. Happy to have those conversations as we have in the past, and we'll do it again.
16: Thanks, Patty, and my condolences go out to your caller Marie this morning. It sounded like a horrible scenario. And you know, I, I think that there are ways that we can avoid that happening uh, in in people's houses and and uh, the impacts of crime and and drug dealers and that kind of thing that she was experiencing. And you, you heard the stress in her voice. And I've been there; it's uh, it's it can get really stressful. And I hope we can work together to find some solutions.
1: Yeah, we've put a couple of people out to Marie to see if we can help. So fingers crossed. Oh, I
16: ho- I hope
1: so. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Mark. Thanks
16: for having me on the show,
1: Patty. Anytime. Thank okay. you. Bye bye. All right, there you go. Well, yeah, we've tried to help Marie out uh, as well. Let's go to line number three, caller. You're on the air. Good morning, caller on line number three. Who just dropped as quick as that? Yeah, I mean. Sometimes, well, actually, quite often, you know, callers like Marie. I mean, it's very upsetting and not heartbreaking for anybody who heard it. You could hear it in her voice, right? She's at wit's end. So, one of someone in the landlord business has indeed been in contact with Marie to see if he can help walk her through the process or any assistance could be provided. There's been another couple of people and a couple of politicians, and Mark just mentioned Jim Din. He, from his office, sent a note uh, looking for Marie's contact number. So, for when folks listen and you're maybe closer by, the concern or you know someone in the business or you have some tips or advice or support for people like that, I mean, I I can't speak for Marie, but I'm sure she appreciates it. I know I absolutely do. And it happens a lot here on the program, which is great. Dave, I don't know what happened to that caller. There was a housing issue out in Cornerbrook. But just on the housing front, You know, I made mention of modular housing and tiny homes and repurposing government-owned buildings and facilities as maybe being part of it, and it's exactly that, just part of it. There is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all here. There is no silver bullet. There's no panacea. It's not going to be just the private sector. It's not going to just be just government. It's not going to be just about building apartments. I mean, the numbers are daunting. It's going to be a monumental exercise to get where we need to be, and we mentioned that the Canadian Mortgage uh, and Housing Corporation this morning has released some of the numbers based specifically on Newfoundland and Labrador. Because we've been talking big picture about, you know, the need for 3 million additional homes on top of the current pace of play in housing starts to accommodate the forecasted population growth by the end of this decade. In this province, we're talking about building 60,000 units over the course of the next six years. I mean... That just sounds like something that I don't know how we get there because the uh, group that's involved with the construction industry here in this province, that the Canadian Home Builders Association, a great year for us in this province. is home starts at about 2,500. Between 2,500 and 10,000, I mean, simply pulling back GST, 5% of the 15% associated with materials to build an affordable housing unit. And remember, it only applies to apartment buildings at uh, four units or more. Not two apartment homes, not basement apartments, so it's going to take private, public sector, uh, everyone involved in the construction industry, including some really focused and targeted immigration numbers, because we need the skills. There's not even enough people working in the skill trades today to possibly come up with the units that we need to see constructed. It doesn't matter how, how it's done. We could pay for it out of the public purse in full. We simply don't even have the people to build it. So when we talk about if something is feasible, something is manageable, I guess we start at the obvious, is do we have the people? Because the source of the funds and incentives to build and tax breaks or subsidies, they can be part of the conversation. They shouldn't be the dominant focus of the conversation, but certainly... To even try to hit these goals without the actual human resources on the ground to even build them? Man, oh man, those numbers are pretty staggering. All right, good show today. Big thanks for everyone who supports the program. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.